We be live. We be live. Yeah. Hello. Oh, there we go. Oh my god. That was... As right, soon that as was you great. said we be live, it like lagged oh. for me. I was like, uh oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, hi everyone in the live chat we're going to be covering the news we're going to have 10 news items about religion atheism secularism some politics and culture sometimes maybe but mostly religion and atheism um we have our um fellow christian here like saying hello fellow of, christian oh. resident <laughs> christian that was taqiyya resident christian okay. oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, music guy is here saying hi Armin, hi Susie. Um, and then yeah, we have to confuse people, Susie. Then, obviously, secular writer saying, like, e buddy, it's time for the new seat. Like, I'm telling you, people get excited here. Um, oh, and also PK also confusing people saying, I am the latest messenger of God. God is sad that many are going to hell. Rules have changed, just pay $100 to me. And heaven guaranteed. PK, I thought you were going to say, like, donate to Atheist Republic. I thought that's why I highlighted this. Okay, but it's okay. All right, so Music Guy is confirming that the idea is good and we're ready to go. Um, oh, yeah, somebody's saying, oh, yeah, Christopher is saying 18 people have liked this video before it even starts. Yeah, actually, you should. You should, guys, like the video because we're going to be doing a, a free service for you guys. We're going to cover the news for you guys and add our commentary and highlight your comments in the live chat about the news. Um, so this is, if you like that, please like the video because our channel needs to grow one day, eventually, maybe, perhaps. So if you guys like the video, <laughs> YouTube will actually recommend our channel to more people. And our channel will grow. So please make sure you like our videos. So that would be, it doesn't cost you anything and it really helps our channel. Okay. It does really help the channel. And now that we're remonetized, the prospect of growth has, you know, greatly increased. So we need to take advantage of that. Yes. Why Everyone is, today, is just everybody... declaring their prophethood in the live chat today. Yeah. Why is this happening? Everybody's a God or a prophet today. Um, okay. So. Do we need to, can we get started with, the, okay, let me actually share my screen before I ask you that question. All right, can we uh, start with the first news? Yeah. All right, can we clap for the first news? Uh, Sure. Okay, first news. First news, Taliban orders government workers do not shave, must have a beard to work. On March 28th, the Taliban ordered government officials in Afghanistan to wear a beard and adhere to Islamic and Afghan dress codes. According to Reuters, members representing the Ministry for the Propagation of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice were patrolling the entrances of government offices to make sure that employees complied with the new rules. Government employees were also ordered to stop wearing suits and instead wear uh, peron, a loose top and turbans. Bilal Sarvari, an Afghan journalist, tweeted a photo showing men gathered around the entrance of the foreign ministry office who were not allowed to enter unless they, their looks matched the Taliban's demands. The Taliban also announced that parks would now be segregated by sex and all foreign shows would be banned. This ban includes the blocking of media outlets like the BBC, Voice of America, and DW News. 
According to the Ministry for the Promotion of Virtue and Prevention of Vice, women will be allowed to visit the park for three days, while men can visit on the remaining four days of the week, which means that even married couples and their families cannot visit the parks together. Okay, so men can't shave their beard, but this is not for all men, right? It's mostly for men that are working with the government for now. Yes, yes. Yes, okay. So, I mean, okay, so, and also parks, men and women can visit together, even if they're married? Yeah, because they're segregated by sex. Okay, and what are you supposed to do if you're a married couple in Afghanistan? I want to go out and have fun. Too bad! <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I guess the Taliban has the Taliban, right? I don't know what to say. This is insane. But still, it's as bad as this is, okay? So I don't know if you guys remember, and some of you weren't even born, this is not even close to how bad it was the last time Taliban was in power. But if things going it keeps going in the same direction, we might get close to there, right? I mean, this is only the first year. Well, that's what people are talking about. Like, this is a significant step closer to the yeah. previous ultra-conservatism. Because although previously it was all men were not allowed to trim or shave their beards. All men were required to grow beards. Right now, right. it's those who work for the government. So it is definitely a sign towards things growing more ultra-conservative. And people are very concerned about that including this announcement of the severe um, segregation on the basis of sex. And then what I found very significant is the blocking of these news outlets like BBC, Voice of America, and DW News, because these are all news stations that are publicly funded by, you know, the British government, American government, and German government. And this is significant because they, um, these news agencies are providing news content in Pashto and in Darcy, you know, to the most important local languages. And so it's news from outside the country that people inside the country can actually understand. And the BBC um, Darcy or Pashto program alone attracts like 6 million listeners very frequently. I, I can't remember if it was on a daily basis or a weekly basis, whatever. But, it, it, you know, this is a very important source of information for this population. And now they're going to be cut off from that. So informational control is a very important part of, um, you know, establishing and maintaining authoritarianism. Okay, so by the way, um, okay, so Susanna, what would you do if you were the Taliban, okay? And you were like the part of Taliban that is now has, is responsible for these decision makings on, coming up with rules for Afghani people, okay? And you have to decide between, because the Taliban is not just a unanimous voice, right? For people who follow us, they know this, right? There's many different fractions in the Taliban and they don't always agree with each other. Uh, but there's a whole, whole bunch of your members who died and bled for this eventual victory um, and they thought that they're going to bring, they, they sacrifice their lives because of, for the sake of an Islamic regime. Okay. And they're pretty upset that you, the, the leaders of Taliban are now talking to like having deals and negotiating with Americans, just like the previous regime. 
and they're talking about schools being open for girls and you know they're like what is like beard like they don't like they think the restrictions don't go far enough they don't they hate the idea that like you're saying beard for just government employees like we're supposed to have sharia law this should be for everybody what do you mean for just for government employees right and they have like burqa is not enforced right now on everybody um is still in afghanistan right um and i don't know some talibani members are saying oh we're protecting shias we like you know we are we defend shias rights and stuff and they like what the hell what are you talking about defending shia rights shias they say the shias they, these taliban members would say shias are our enemies right so you have this internal members and a whole bunch of powerful voices from within which is the greatest threat to your exit to taliban's existence right because as much as people think maybe the americans are a threat to and Taliban or maybe other enemies, maybe, I don't know, some uh, other insurgency groups within Afghanistan that are anti-Taliban might be a threat. None of this is a threat to Taliban as much as Taliban members itself that might be upset with the Taliban membership and not being Islamic enough, right? So you're looking at that, and you also know that you don't have money, people are starving, and if you don't somehow get recognized by the international community, and start doing trade, and money, and your money doesn't start flowing in. the The amount of start, you know, poverty and starvation will make people upset enough that they might actually start like rising up against you. And like at this end of the day, this is not going to be a victory if, if the whole world can see that you're not that Afghanistan is ruined because of the Taliban coming to power, right? So you want to also not make the rules strict enough. You want to have you want to make the rules strict. So you don't have internal Taliban, like your own Taliban members be upset with you, but you also have to, you also ha you, you have the international community demanding that you respect women's rights, that you don't make the rules too strict or else they're not going to trade with you or recognize you. Even, you know, even some of your allies are saying, talking like that, right? So what would you do? Like how, if you, if your main goal is survival, what, what, what would you do? Like, Hmm. Yeah, you have to walk a very fine line, very fine line. And you have to, you have like those two major camps that you have to capitulate towards, but they're diametrically opposed. So it's very difficult. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, I, I just want people to understand that this is not that simple okay i mean morally it's obviously horribly horrible right what they're doing um but strategically uh politically it's it's taliban is like they they might themselves they might see themselves being stuck between iraq and a hard place right anyways i just want to mention that um so i also want to do read some start comments and then we could go to the next news. Unless you want to add anything. Um, no, 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 that was all. Let's go to the comments. Okay. So Eric is saying, guys, why aren't you using the current flag of Afghanistan? Why the old flag of Afghanistan? I mean, the, the new flag of Afghanistan is like the flag of Taliban. And I think like maybe, I don't know, I'd rather, rather be sympathetic to the afghani people who might not want us to recognize uh, afghanistan with the flag that represents the taliban 
I may <laughs> I, I prefer I would prefer using the flag that Afghani people would might feel like it represents them more rather than you know just the Taliban part of Afghanistan. So I think that it's well, fair and for also us to use the, old flag. the the Afghani flag is more recognizable to most people than the Taliban's flag. So it has to do with just like you know popular recognition as well. Like how I still yeah. call Facebook Facebook, even though it, the parent company changed its name to Meta. Like it doesn't have that recognition yet. Yeah. People are saying, did I just say stuck between Iraq and a hard place? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, dad. Um, all right. So next, Bobo. Bobo is here. Hi, Bobo. Hi, Bobo. Bobo saying how will Bobo okay go i to- had the same question i had the hmm. same question Bobo. Bobo is asking how will women go to the parks if they can't leave the house alone without mehram meaning like a uh, male family member as a chaperone um, is mehram still a thing there no that's saudi arabia i mean i mean maybe it was saudi arabia i don't know if they changed no, there's lots but- of conditions in afghanistan where women have to have mehram or not right now I thought yeah. that was not like today? for traveling long distances. Oh yeah, for traveling long distance, they need that right now. Not for going to the, not for going outside. Maybe they change that later. I don't know. But right now, I mean, if you're just walking within your own city, they don't have that rule. It also probably depends on the area. You know, there might be like unofficial rules or things I, that some random Taliban Talibanis. I think enforce. right now you need a mahram if you're traveling. Yeah. Not if you're going from your house to the park. Oh. Oh. Um. Okay. Here's another question. Farmer Stormy is saying, with so many beards floating around, I suppose lice treatment will part be part of their health employment or their employment health insurance. Do people get lice in their beards? Um. Why not? It's a. Oh my gosh! I've never had (laughs) facial hair, so I've never thought about this. Oh my god, that'd be terrible! <laughs> oh my god! Ah! <laughs> you imagine? Yes. So Bengali the Bengali saying, so mother and son are not allowed. It probably depends on the age of the child. Yeah, you're right. I think like on Women's Day, if the if the boy is a child, he, the boy can go with the parent, with the mom. I think so. Yeah, you're right. I think the boy you know needs to at be what under. Age that changes. Does it change when the boy reaches the age of reason or? Okay. So if it's in Iran, if the boy is under 15, okay, that's the rule. But the Taliban, they check if you have pubic hair. Are you serious? I mean, that's what they did when they slaughtered a whole bunch of people. They had oh to decide God. whether, okay, because based on the Hadith, if you have, like, so in Iran, they, they cut the rules specifically based on your 15th birthday, you become an adult. But the, the way that Taliban did it last time, they based it, based, they went based on the Islamic Hadith. And the, in the Islamic Hadith, when, when Prophet Muhammad's uh, people, when they were killing a whole bunch of, um, I don't want to say it because YouTube might think like I'm saying it people of a, a, a Abrahamic sect that are not Christian or Islam, Muslim, <laughs> okay, when they were slaughtering them, they were checking whether to kill the men. Okay, so all the women were being um, sold as slaves, but the men, if they were boy, if they were kids, they were being sold as slaves, and if they were adults, they were being 
beheaded, right? So the way to check for that is that they would just check if they have pubic hair, right? Which is basically based on that standard, some 12 year olds, um, you know, could be considered adults and were killed because they're adult. If you have it, you know, so that's horrible. This is Islam, I guess, right? That's how Islamic standards work. But you know, Taliban is self-report. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, technically, they are being very accurate based on if, if you want to make it based on Islamic scripture. Um, the Taliban is being very accurate. Okay, you know, more accurate than Iran's government. Um, Well, <laughs> uh, Fatima is asking, will they check even for a fake beard? <laughs> yeah, imagine if they say, okay, that's fine, that's allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what are you going to do if you can't grow a beard? There are lots of men who can't that, grow beards. That's it. Yeah, uh, th obviously they would say that's fine. Just like Hashemi Rafsanjani, like that's, that's okay. So, like the mullahs in Iran, they all have beard, right? Why do you mm -hmm. think Hashemi Rafsanjani? Um, never, never had a beard. No, uh, presumably because he wasn't able to grow one. Yeah, they call him a shark because of it. Kuse. Wait, what? Um, yeah, Kuse in Farsi. Yeah, the the people people who can grow a beard, they call them a shark in Iran. And <laughs> wait, yeah, look, why? Look, look. This is the only Iranian mullah who you never saw. Having a beard because he can't grow. He's got one. a little bit of stubble. Yeah, but that's the He's only. Got like a goatee. Yeah, but every other mullah you see in Iran, like, do yeah. people not wonder how is this? How could this man look like this? Like every other mullah has a beard, right? So do people Wait, not wonder? I what need you to back up and explain why it's called a shark. <laughs> because sharks don't have hair, I think. I think that's huh. I don't know what I don't think why that's the, yeah. Oh, we got a super chat. Let me just highlight the super chat. Thank oh, you, Gaijin American. Oh, interesting. Thank you for the two dollar super chat, Gaijin American. Gaijin American is asking, will they, meaning the Taliban, import CCC CCP purge slash surveillance methods? I don't think they can afford it. I mean, if they can buy, I mean, if you could buy the equipment. Right now, they don't even have enough money for food. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know if they can afford that stuff. I think Iran well, I mean, would be I more don't interested. Even think they have the infrastructure to support it. Yeah, like something exactly. like only 11% of Afghanistan has access to the internet, anyways. Yeah, like, like, yeah. Why? How would they do that? Like, I think a better customer for CCP purge surveillance methods and equipment would be the Islamic Republic of Iran. Hmm. Definitely. Um, oh, this is a good question from D because I had the same question. D is asking, Atheist Republic, was a beard ever commanded in scripture or the Hadith? Like, where does this, this commandment towards a beard come from? I know it's partially an emulation of the Prophet Muhammad. Um, okay, so... I don't remember if there's a specific commandment telling people that they need to put beers, but I don't remember. But I know even if there isn't one, technically it's sunnah because you have Muhammad, what Muhammad did, everything he did is considered to be the right way to do things, right? You have to supposed to follow Muhammad as a role model, right? 
and he had a beard. <laughs> right so so that's i think that's good enough <laughs> if muhammad had a beard you should have a beard um but i don't remember if there's a specific instruction telling people to have beards i just know that even without it do you just look at what muhammad did as a role model that's why some people put red color red um in their beard because there's one at least one hadith where muhammad did that to make themselves look pretty you know they just put red, red, red coloring in their beard. Have you seen that? He put Hold red on. dye in his beard to make himself look right. pretty. I think they use maybe henna. Oh yeah, something like that. Um, I don't. Okay, like this. Hold on. Look how pretty that looks. Like that. Yeah, this is, is a lot of people find this the right way. To, this they do this because there's like I think there's a hadith. That Muhammad did this. So and like, I know what, that's why they keep the beard but trim the mustache. Because that's what Muhammad did. Yeah. So, I mean, it does look good, to be honest. <laughs> it's so bright. It's yeah, so yeah, yeah. bright. <laughs> yeah, some people want to, you know, the closer you are to Muhammad, the better, apparently, right? So that's why some people do this. Well, that's also why people take child brides, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> do people like? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> guys, I'm not complaining. It looks good. I'm being honest. <laughs> okay, um, let's start coming. Oh, uh, yeah. Stormy was saying news outlets should just launch shortwave radio service. Good luck blocking that. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about how these news blocks on DW, BBC and Voice of America might kind of give a resurgence to this method of um, spreading the news, which would be very interesting. Um, I think people don't talk about informational control as much as they should, because it's one of the most um, important ways in like brainwashing a population. It's just denying them access to any critical information. Okay, there are some funny comments in the live chat. I don't think I could read all of them because of YouTube restrictions and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, should we... Yeah, we are reading the FB chat. Okay, Joe is saying, are you guys reading the FB chat? Yes, we are, but we can't highlight every other comment, especially because of your last comment had something in it that I can't hi even highlight because YouTube might find it offensive. I am reading the Facebook chat, but don't expect me to read uh, everything. Okay, here, because you're crying, I'm going to highlight your comment saying, no, no, red beard is the best. Okay, here. Are you happy He's now? Beast. I highlight oh, it's beast. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh wow okay yeah we are we are noticing your comments on Facebook as well but I just can't read everything okay especially when you're asking us questions that has nothing to do with the current news item all right can we clap for the next news no this is like really bad this is not good oh my god okay next news so next news Nigerian atheist Mubarak Bala sentenced to twenty four years in prison for blasphemy. On April 2nd, Mubarak Bala, the president of the Humanist Association of Nigeria, was sentenced to 24 years in prison for his alleged crime of blasphemy. On April 25th, 
2020, Mubarak was on uh, Mubarak on Facebook said that the Prophet Muhammad was a terrorist, or he compared the Prophet Muhammad to a terrorist. I'm using coded language because of uh, YouTube, but I think we all know what I mean. Three days later, he was arrested. Prosecutors in the Kano High Court accused Mubarak Bala of insulting the Prophet Muhammad, which, quote, caused a breach of the public peace, to which Bala responded by maintaining his innocence and denounced the charges against him. Bala was not granted access to a lawyer until five months after he was arrested. In March 2021, a hearing was made for his charges without him present in court. His first court appearance was in February this year. In court, Bala requested to change his plea to guilty to the surprise of his legal team. Leo Igwe, the founder of the Nigerian Humanist Association, said that Bala changed his plea because it, because, quote, it was impressed on him by authorities in Kano that the only way his family could be safe was if he admitted that he was guilty. With Bala's conviction, atheists and humanists in Nigeria are now in danger of being thrown into jail just for expressing their views. Um, okay, that's crazy. 24 years for simply, I mean, can you remind people what he said? Like, by, by the way, guys, this has been going for a couple of years. Um, he had he had been held without any charges, without any access to a lawyer for a whole for a very long time. For, for, for a long time, he was even missing. People didn't even know where he was being held. Um, and it was even difficult to defend him because there was not even any charges. And after how long they finally pressed charges? Like how long did he was in jail until they finally come up with charges? Like a year and a half. He's been in jail for like two years. Two years. Okay. And now they come in, come out with this 24 years for what, what did he do exactly for people who don't blasphemy, blaspheming against the prophet Muhammad. But what did he say? Like, I just want people to so, realize how insignificant what he said was. He, what I originally saw as what was so offensive to people was he made a post where he was talking about um, either a, a local pastor who claims to be a prophet or local um, radical violent extremist elements um, and made a comparison between them and the Prophet Muhammad. So this comparison between the Prophet Muhammad and these violent radicals, um, you know, was was such a disturbing breach of peace. What, so I, what happened was he made this post and then it was actually a, um, a few lawyers who took it upon themselves to file a petition to the police. And so it wasn't even the police who, like, this w- initially took the first action. It was, like, these lawyers who went and just took it upon themselves to go after him. And um, so I remember reading what I, it was the petition that these lawyers filed to the police. Or at least what has, was put forward in the public as the original petition, right? Like, I can't 100% verify it. And in it, they basically talk about how, Mubarak Bala needs to be arrested. It needs to be prosecuted because if it doesn't, then it it will incite Muslims to do violent things. So basically, like, it seemed to me like a blame the victim argument. Like, he's the one who did this. This will cause Muslims to be violent. Therefore, he's the one that needs to be prosecuted. Which seems to me, if I was a Muslim, I would be offended because that belies an incredibly low opinion of Muslims. 
Like it, it is, it kind of feels like a self-report like that you are saying, we, we know that Muslims are going to react like violently to this. And that's why this person who hasn't done anything violent needs to be prosecuted and have action taken against him. And it's just evolved into this whole situation that we see to this day. And what's really unfortunate is that, so this recent announcement of his sentencing received huge coverage around the world. It was in the Guardian. It was in the Associated Press. It was in Al Jazeera. And um, based on the way it's been reported on, it seemed to me like this just happened out of the middle of nowhere in the middle of a court hearing. Like, again, this is my interpretation of what I've been reading, but it really seems like in the middle of the proceedings, Mubarak Bala just got up and was just like, I'm going to plead guilty. And his lawyers are right there like, what? Like, here we go. In court on Tuesday, to the surprise of his legal team, Bala requested to change his plea to guilty, one of his lawyers said. Just suddenly, he changed his plea and pleaded guilty to the whole 18 count charges. We were in shock. The lawyer said Bala might have seen the guilty plea as a way to end the case. Quote, it feels like he just felt he should just know his fate. He didn't know when this would come to an end. He may have thought that the guilty plea would lead to some leniency, but the judgment was harsh. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of, everyone who's reporting on this case and everyone who's talking about it is talking about it in this sense of like, there have been reports that there have been threats against his family. I I haven't been able to verify that, but, and then either from prison authorities, from other authorities or from these authorities telling him about how there are these threats and kind of like making implications and just saying, you know, you should just go ahead and plead guilty to protect them. You know, your family is still in Nigeria. We still know where they are. You should just, you know, really close this case because the Nigerian justice system is notoriously overburdened and takes an extremely long time to actually um, find the conclusion of a case. Not to mention the fact that he was already illegally held in detention for two years, but it could drag on for much, much, much longer, right, to actually fight this all the way through because his case has been subject to a repeated adjournments. And... Um, so it seems like he maybe just reached a breaking point where he was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that I'm guilty. Like, I just want to get this over with. And again, the way that the, the guardian reported on it as if, again, this is reporting saying, you know, maybe he thought that just, you know what? You're right. I'm guilty. I, I'll, I'll, you know, that, that'll look favorably upon me. They'll let me get off on some things. No, they threw the book at him. The whole the whole nine yards. You know, you might be, you know, not knowing the back what's going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I might be tempted to say like that's a very bad idea to do something and surprise your own lawyers, right? Um, and make a decision in the court without actually discussing it with the lawyers ahead of time, right? And even but again, we don't know what his situation is. He might be dealing with, you know, family threat issues that we don't, that 
makes it impossible for him to even discuss things with his own lawyer. Like we have no idea the amount of stress. And I mean, even if we made a mistake though, like we can't, we don't know how we would act ourselves under such amount of stress and anxiety, especially when you're not the only one who's being targeted, your family is as well. Like, it's just like, and after two years of being in prison for, for something like this, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe at some point you just crack and you just like, I just want this to be over. I don't know. Like you're, you just don't want to deal with the whole mess. And, but now imagine being like, I just want this to be over. And then you get told that, yeah, okay, here's 24 more years of you having to deal with all of this crap, man, guys, this is, it's so brutal. And it, by the way, I don't know if people understand how amazing Mubarak Bala is as an individual, like, he is somebody who really cares about secularism, free speech, um, somebody who dedicated his life for humanist values, somebody that didn't hold back on what he had to say. Um, and now he's paying such a heavy price for it. Like this is not just like a random atheist that didn't, you know, like said something. I mean, even if he was, he, he would deserve a lot of protection because this is not fair. But it's just a, even extra hard breaking knowing that how good of a person and how how much this man's tried to sacrifice for for making his country a better place for for more people you know what i mean like um and now he's paying such a high price for it and his family as well it's just so unfortunate and it makes it harder for other activists to consider this line of activism to make i mean nigeria guys nigeria is such an important country especially because yeah, especially because of the sheer number of people that are there and the rules there is going to affect m much more people than many other countries. Like Nigeria, I don't know if people realize that Nigeria is the seventh uh, largest country in the world, like ranking based on population, just seven. Mm -hmm. Number one in Africa. Like if you, if you care about Africa, the most populated country in Africa is Nigeria. And I mean, it's seven, it's number seven right now, but it's predicted to become number four at some point. So Nigeria, like the, the rules in Nigeria is going to affect an astronomical number of people. And if this is the direction that they're going, like, you know, as, as a secular activist, you need to care about Nigeria because, again, you have to realize uh, the policies that you're pushing for, the countries that you're taking in, in you know, into consideration to be, to you know, to raise awareness about the population of them matter as well. So Nigeria is like very high up there. Um, and it's so sad to see this is the direction they're going. I mean, religious tensions in Nigeria is something that is heading in the wrong direction and is, it could get worse. And I just hope that eventually more economic, uh, because Nigeria is going in the right way when it comes to talent, education, trade in that sense it's going in the right way but i don't know if all of this backward rules and the judicial system and religiosity is going to hold back nigeria's potential like so you have to understand like nigeria has a lot of potential going forward as one of the leading countries in africa when it comes to economic power going in the future it could save it could be one of the main contributions to saving the the rest of the continent as well, right? It could be used as a role model, right? And it, when you when we talk about secular activism and free speech and human rights, it's not just for the sake of these rights being valuable because we want things to be fair and just. 
it's also because these a better human rights record, better property rights records, better free speech rules mm -hmm. just unleashes the entire potential of a country in, in economic forms as well. Like we have a lot of data to show that these rights being protected and respected um, is just like opens the gates, not just to people just enjoying more rights, but also better trade, prosperity. better prosperity and everything as well. So it's important to fight for your rights in so many ways. Like even if you don't, even if you think, even if you're an activist that cares more about people being hungry or people having more income and people living better lives beyond just their rights, even if that's what you mainly care about, you have to care about human rights, not just for the sake of human rights itself, but because of also the positive consequences for a country that has better property rights and human rights. Um, and again, Nigeria is very important going forward, like right? the amount of potential that is being withheld because of these i mean imagine how backward and how broken the judicial system of nigeria is they need to clean that stuff up right and you can see how religion is the main source of holding it back right so for people who think that we're exaggerating about the role of religion again you need to have free speech and pro good property rights for a country to prosper and nigeria is one of the leading countries in africa that has an amazing potential and the main thing that is holding that that back is religion so you can see by a couple of degrees of separation how religion is having such a negative effect on an mm -hmm. entire continent like you can't think like religious anti-religion activism is not important it's not it's not just about people being right about i don't know metaphysical you know questions about the existence of god it's not just that it's also people's lives indirectly being harmed in, in such in such a degree anyways yeah no those are all very good points um D is saying he's been made an example. Like he's, he's, they're making an example out of him. The whole thing is unconstitutional. Yeah. From top to bottom, his rights have been violated the entire time. His lawyer says that while in prison, Bala has been denied access to healthcare, kept in solitary confinement and forced to worship the Islamic way. Still, no matter all that, he has refused to convert back to Islam. Like, incredible amazing resolve i'll remind you guys that mubarak bala was previously forcibly put into a psychiatric ward because he renounced islam in 2014 like this man has been through so much and he still stood up so firm in his convictions and not only after going through that that's when he went on to become the president of the nigerian humanist association to really stand for the rights and the community of other atheists and non-believers, non humanists in Nigeria. Like, just incredible, incredible person. Um, and um, Dean at Atheist Republic Cape Town is saying, I feel numb thinking of this case. Shame, the shame of the African continent. Islam has to go. Now, this is kind of interesting to think about is, we're very lucky that Mubarak Ball was actually tried in a civil court because Nigeria does have aspects of the law where you can be tried legally under Sharia court and Sharia law. And he being an ex-Muslim and being someone who was being tried in the state of Kano, even though his supposed crime occurred in the state of Kaduna in the South, um, he could have been subject to a, a Sharia court which in that case, he would have had the possibility of the death penalty. So as horrible as this sentence is, we are still lucky that it's not so much worse. Um, 
but you know, it's it still feels sometimes you know like a, a, a small victory, right, in comparison to twenty four years for a Facebook post. Twenty four years for a Facebook post. Armin and I were discussing when this news came out that that's actually worse than what Rafe Badawi received in Saudi Arabia, like for comparison. Yeah, it's exactly. Ludicrous. Um, and um. Eric Olson is saying now it's time to put the pressure on Nigeria till he's free. He should not only be free, he should be helped out of that country. He won't be safe there. Yes, that's 100% true. Um, if there is any means in which his sentence was somehow lifted or he was released from prison, he would need to be evacuated from the country and given asylum somewhere else ASAP. Um, I've heard online from people who are familiar with this case, again, I cannot verify this, that actually at the time of when he made that Facebook post, um, that he was attempting to apply for asylum and attempting to escape Nigeria when this whole thing started. Um, and for some reason, there were like aspects of that that were getting delayed and getting stopped. Um, but yes, he, he does need to be granted asylum immediately. I think if there was going to be a... a I think Canada might have the best processes for granting him asylum before he's able to leave because they have processes that they put in place for Rife Badawi. But obviously that takes a lot of lobbying of, um, to the government. Um, Christopher is saying, Armin, these rights sounded like abstract comments, concepts until I made personal connections with people for whom they are not. Ooh, that's a very good point. Like you really take these for granted until you talk to people about how just like the idea of like the rights to property and the rights to free expression or intellectual property, like until you understand what it's like to live in a society where you don't have that, you really take it for granted. Um, Ibn Qayyim is saying the literacy rate in Nigeria is only 66%, one of the lowest in the world. Wow. Um, and also saying Nigeria has a lower GDP per capita than war-torn Syria. Is that true? Even all the oil in, even with all the oil in Nigeria, it has, has it, Nigeria remains one of the poorest countries in the world. Okay, so I think this is a criticism of what I had to say, because I was talking about Nigeria's direction and its potential, given the population, given that they, um, I mean, okay, so statistically, uh, the number of educated, the literacy rate is low in Nigeria, but they also have some of the most educated uh, people in Africa, right? So those are not contradictory points of view. Also, they have a lot of Nigerians that go outside of Nigeria. They they end up working. They they end up being some of the most talented people uh, among the migrants, you know. In for example, United States, and they bring back a lot of talent back to Nigeria. Or if they stay in their country that they're in, they're bringing sending money back a lot to their family. I, I just think that uh, what I'm saying is that this is why I'm talking about Nigeria's potential rather than where it's already at, right? It, uh, it is economically and trade-wise. It is moving and education-wise. You know, there, so there are some really good investments being made and there's some things that are moving in the right direction. And it, that's just the beginning of what it could do. And I just say, like, it, I mean, it is a country with a lot of manpower and a lot of untapped talent. Okay, so you're saying... Extremely young population. Extremely young population. And that's what we're saying. It's uneducated. That's why I'm saying untapped talent and hungry. 
hungry for education and a lot of eagerness for it, it, there's a lot of what Nigeria also has is a lot of eagerness for entrepreneurship you know many a lot of demand for more a lot of hunger for knowledge and you know new businesses and taking advantage of whatever the world has to offer like the the, the eagerness is there the mindset is there the roadmap is there the international interest is there and the people there have shown that they are uh, capable uh, you know so again so that's what i'm that's what i was uh, referring to i'm not talking about whether things are already fantastic mm -hmm. or not, right yes. yeah there's so much that could be utilized um I think it is very important to point out that, according to the Associated Press, the Kano state government denied any wrongdoing in the trial and said that the judgment could be appealed. So that's one news source I said about how, you know, this judgment could be appealed. There could be further progress on this. I know that Humanist International is still raising money for his legal fund. Um, I don't necessarily know what steps will be taken, but there is that possibility. And I did see people in the live chat saying that, um, you know, we should go protest it at every embassy. Um, I do really appreciate the impetus towards, you know, really demanding that action. And this is a moment where we do need a lot of public attention on this incident and this event and to talk about this issue. I don't necessarily know if going to protest at embassies is the right move right now, because sometimes these situations are very sensitive and going out and taking an all guns blazing approach can actually be harmful for the case. So I would defer to Humanist International, who has the most hands-on on his defense about what kind of um, public approach would be the most helpful and safest yeah. for uh, Mubarak and his family. Yeah, so Susanna is not saying that this is not the right approach. She's just saying that we have to see what they tell us is the right approach. So It's, it's sensitive. It's very, yes, it's very the most responsible way of going about doing these things. Um, one last thing I also want to say that Nigeria is on the radar of all uh, many religious um, and political groups as well, right? So Christians are very invested in Nigeria, trying to spread Christianity. Um, a lot of Islamic organizations, Wahhabi ones, are very interested. And I know the Islamic Republic of Iran is very interested in Nigeria, and they have they have been very successful in spreading Shiism in Nigeria and growing. They're growing a lot of groups in Nigeria. So given like these religious and political groups recognize the, you know, how important Nigeria is going to be, both politically and and economically, um, and that's why they are investing there. Um, trying ideologically trying to invest there, and that's why we secularists we need to also step up our game and do the same thing, right? Um, because you know we believe that all this religious religious activism being directed at Nigeria is not good for Nigeria. So coming from outside to Nigeria, I think like it would help like if more secularists were also showing some interest in Nigeria and trying to help Nigeria defend itself against all these you know forces um which by the way atheists compared to all the resources these religious institutions and political groups have atheists and secularists have nothing um so either consider donating to us or humanist international which doing which they are the leading humanists so if you're not comfortable with donating to an atheist organization which would be us uh, we highlight these things for for the same reason there's also a humanist organization called humanist international you could donate to them they do fantastic work we they have been they worked with us in the past 
um, they defended our members but when they, when we were attacked in Malaysia in the past so we we really appreciate their work um, and we rely on their reports and we know there's a professional organization and they do we've seen how like we in the previous when we work with them directly we see how careful and how professional they are with what they do mm -hmm. so you could consider donating to humanist international as well they truly have an international perspective on things you know um so yeah but yeah you could also donate to us link in the description um give us the ammunition to go back to fight against this is truly a david and goliath situation okay yeah uh, but, it's yeah. amazing how much atheist and humanist um, organizations how much we can do with so little a comparison to religious organizations it's incredible actually yeah yeah oh here we just got a donation from a christian <laughs> again thank you so much bread of life um we're saying i'm comfortable what, what does that mean meaning because you, oh. you said you might not be comfortable donating to an explicitly atheist organization oh, and this christian so is saying i'm comfortable I'm comfortable. <laughs> oh thank you so much brother like that's very sweet okay thank you for the five dollar super chat i really appreciate that that's very sweet oh look at this guys we have a christian that's comfortable donating to an atheist organization that's very sweet okay um okay cool can we clap for the next news um, well, in general, like there isn't a lot of news to clap for this week, but you know, n a lot of it is not necessarily like someone died. So okay, okay, gonna I'm going to clap unenthusiastically. Okay, uh, next news. Next news: Iran bars women from entering sports arenas once again. On March 28th, during an uh, Iran versus Lebanon soccer match, security guards of the Imam Reza Stadium in Mashhad, Iran, denied women access to the stadium. A tweet by Radio Farda, the Iranian arm of Radio Free Europe, showed hundreds of women, some holding their tickets in hand, protesting for access to the stadium. Iran student news agency reported that more than 2,000 Iranian women were denied access. The stadium's administrators have not commented on this issue yet. Women have been barred from attending soccer matches since the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Global soccer organizations have put pressure on Iran to change their practices. Back in January, in an effort to secure Iran's entry into the 2022 Qatar World Cup, Iran allowed 2,000 women to watch a game at the Azadi Stadium. However, Iran quickly backtracked on its efforts, especially in Mashhad. Iran International reported that Mashhad is home to numerous extremely conservative Muslim clerics who are influential in barring women from quote-unquote male-dominated spaces. Armin, what is your analysis on this, on this news? This was causing a huge uproar in the uh, Iranian social medias. Yeah, this has uh, this has become a major, major beyond um, football. Okay, like the politics and the backlash to this has gotten to the highest part of the regimes. Okay, and okay, so for, just to give you some context, um, Iran, like there's a fight between the Islamic uh, the Republic, the Iran's government, and FIFA. Because FIFA has been telling Iran that if you don't allow women into, um, you know, these stadiums, like there's going to be consequences. And a lot of hum women's rights and feminists and human rights um, political activists have been putting a lot of pressure on FIFA that why do you keep 
like why do you not challenge the Islamic Republic when you know when they're not abiding by your own by your standards like you guys are being hypocrites so so FIFA has been demanding that from uh, Iran and recently it seemed like Iran was like because like you know the main religion in Iran is not Islam okay the main religion in Iran is soccer okay it's true <laughs> yeah so if like if Iran is not <laughs> this would be a major big deal for Iranians right if like um, if, if like then if, if Iran cannot participate in I don't know I don't know much about sports right so but I just know that this will have major consequences right so what has happened is seemed like it seemed like Iran, Iran's, Iran's government was starting like ease up ten, allowing women in stadiums. And this was like a sport that a lot of women were looking forward to going into, right? And women in Iran have been very, very, because this is not just about women being able to go watch sports in stadium, okay? Like a lot of women activists are pushing for this because this is the battle, the battle for women rights, right? Like it's a symbol for everything for women being able to be equal to men, right? There's so many, everybody who's coming out and saying like, oh, our sisters should be able to imagine, to, to enjoy sports as well. Like the government is going after them. They're losing their jobs. They're even like, like for example, there was one of the soccer players that like, I wish like, you know, our female fans could also come watch us and in the on TV when they were playing his voice, like talking about the sport, that part where he said that got cut. Right. And a lot of people were outraged that that part was cut. Like a lot of soccer players, uh, team members were singing songs saying like men and women are equal um, and, you know, everybody should be able to enjoy sports, including women. And, you know, like there's songs about this. Like this is a huge thing. OK. And this like it used, I think a lot of people are focusing on women being able to be allowed in stadiums because it's a easier. It used to be just a couple of years ago. It was a bad hijab. Right hijab being mandatory or not, okay? But that is such a red line for the Islamic Republic of Iran because it was one of the foundational values of the revolution for more than 40 years ago, right? So I think this has become a more PC or acceptable, like it's harder for the Islamic Republic of Iran to make a case for why this is such a red line for us, right? Because it's not one of their foundational principles, right? So that's why a lot of women rights activists, activism has centered around this right now in Iran, right? So a couple of other points, which is interesting, is that there's now these, I, I don't know if you mentioned it because I was trying to write the points that I need to bring up when you were talking. Um, did you mention that the, these women were pepper sprayed when they were showed up? No. Okay, so by the way, you said that they didn't comment yet, but no, they have commented now. They they commented at the time a lot of writing. It. They hadn't at the time of writing. Yeah, I know, I know. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, okay, so what happened was, originally, a lot of so, um, a lot of women were at the door with their tickets, saying that we bought tickets, right? But then um, they weren't allowed in even though they were told that women are now allowed into this, into the sport. Right. So they, they, they barred all the women and they were like, people were, the women are like, okay, then if women were not allowed, then why do we have tickets? Why did you sell tickets to women? We paid for this. Now we want to be allowed in, but they didn't allow them in. So 
a lot of people were outraged. Like, you've got their money, you sold tickets to women, and now they're not allowed in. And they were so angry. Like, they were banging at the doors. They were shouting. They wanted to be allowed in. And eventually, they pepper sprayed them. And the footage of the pepper spray was outrageous, right? Like, this has become so, it was so disgusting. I don't know if I can show it here, that even a lot of mullahs came out and they were like, uh, no, 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 this is bad. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to be held responsible for this. Like women were like crying and they were like, you know, saying the strongest words against the regime. And they were, you know, they were burning and people were looking at this. And these were women that were excited to come, like they were so excited to come watch the sport and they were met with pepper spray. They thought they're finally going to be allowed in, right? And even some government officials were like, this is these women were wrong, and now it seems like even some some major hardliners, like you would think, like this would be a fight between anti-regime and re pro-regime people, but it's like people are wondering why some major hardliners are coming out and saying whoever was responsible for this, they need to be like hunted down and held responsible, and they need to be punished. And people are like, who said who? Who who sold the tickets, and then who who allowed them to have tickets? Who um, closed the doors to them? Who's responsible for the mm, pepper spray? Like every like, there's an investigation and everything, and there's an internal fight. And some people are saying, oh, this is there's no internal fight, and this is just a conspiracy theory to show that they're angry, but they're not really angry because this comes from. Okay, so uh, here's a, here's how this gets escalates um, to a massive degree. Okay. This, this all of a sudden got the conversation got to who's the next supreme leader. <laughs> That's how high up this whole conversation got, right? Because... <laughs> Because wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how how much this escalated. Okay, and okay, so this happened in Mashhad. Okay, and the the father of Racy's wife, so father-in-law, right? Um, yes. I think that's what his, his relationship to Racy is. Um, yeah. Alam al Huda is the main mullah in Mashhad. Okay, and people tr in Mashhad in Iran they treat this man like a holy figure. Okay similar to how a lot of people treat Khamenei, okay? So a lot of anti-regime people uh, have been focusing on him and because he's so popular and he's seen as such a sacred person, um, are, are trying to bring up this event and say it was him, okay? Because he has a video, I don't know if, maybe I will show this video of him on Secular Jihadists, talking about this man, ta talking about how the reason why women shouldn't be allowed in stadiums is because they get excited, uh, and that's haram. He was basically, like, you could see one of his Friday sermons saying, like, have, if you look at men in stadiums um, when they're watching sports, you can see how excited they are. You can see how, you know, full of passion they become. And then he was telling, asking people, like, imagine how the amount of depravity, uh, uh, how much um, the amount of, I don't know, shame that we have to deal with if women were this excited and showing this much passion in the stadium, and that would be haram and that would be illegal. Like imagine being exposed to all that passion and excitement that women were showing, right, in a stadium. And this is obviously disgusting and haram and we could have that. Like imagine the people who are pushing for that, imagine how low and how uh, immoral they are for, for them to push for something like that, 
for having women excited, this excited in public, right? And that video was circulating to say like, okay, this video obviously suggests that he is the guy that is responsible for, sp for spraying this woman. But then, you know, the, first of all, the stadium, the people who are responsible for selling the tickets, they were like saying, first of all, these tickets were fake. Uh, we didn't sell tickets to women. Um, what? None of these. Yeah, they were saying these tickets, what? like they're saying there was only nine real tickets that were sold to women by mistake. And all these tickets that these women have are, are you know, not real okay um so th that's what they're saying and then they were saying like the pepper spray was not our fault uh, it, it, the, the the command came from a higher higher ups okay so they were in like high higher ups that's why some people then went to a letter many years ago from Khamenei from the supreme leader himself and they're like Okay, this is Khamenei himself must have ordered this. Again, I'm not saying any of these things. Okay? A lot of people are just very loose and easy with connecting dots together. Uh, but I'm just reporting you what people are saying. They say they had there was a letter from Khamenei to Ahmadinejad. Because I don't know if people understand, Ahmadinejad was a lot more, a lot less pro-restrictions than Khamenei. Okay, as, as, as weird and as Islamic and as pro-restriction as somebody like Ahmadinejad is, he was for having women in stadiums, okay? And Khamenei wrote a letter. There's a there's a letter that has been leaked of Khamenei writing to Ahmadinejad many years ago when he was president saying, what the hell, man? Like, you know, why are you going against the teachings of Marja? Or the what Mar a lot of, Mar like, do you not notice that a lot of Marjas uh, like Islamic role models, Shia Islamic role models are saying that women shouldn't be in stadiums and you as a president shouldn't be going against the teachings of Marja, right? So there was a warning by Khamenei to, so people are saying this is the position of Khamenei. So obviously if this is the position of Khamenei, this would not be tolerated in Iran, okay? So in, in Iran, they like, but they also don't want to be kicked out of FIFA, okay? Or whatever. I don't know how the sports works there, but I don't know if you could get kicked out of it. I don't know how any of it works, but they don't want that consequences because how important soccer is for Iranians, right? So they're trying to like, you know, they use the pandemic a lot for, for not having any audience for the past two years, just so, so FIFA couldn't, couldn't like bother them but now that the pandemic is being over they're like oh my god what do we do we don't want to let women in because obviously this is Khamenei's position right and Alaman Hoza's position as well but we also don't want the consequences of being kicked out of FIFA is very important as well but anyways the reason why I'm talking about the next supreme leader is because we now finally are talking about another major contender this has brought the discussion of Alaman Hoza from Mashhad as, as a potential because overall we've always been talking about um, only two people that could be potential, the potential next supreme leaders, which is Raisi um, or Mushtaba Khamenei, which is the son of the current supreme leader. But now, all of a sudden, this has brought more attention to how popular, how big of a religious figure Amal Hodai is. Like, we have footage now being shown to us of how much people, how they treat him, how they, uh, uh, you know, venerate him how high they look up to him and how how big of a following he has and people are saying like maybe like some of the behind the scene this is like a ideological battle between different radical different uh, you know hardliners to see who has more of a um yeah. pull over different people um you know compare you know I mean, if you look at Al-Mahodam from a religious perspective, he's above both Raisi 
and Mushtaba Khamenei. So, you know, well, it, and Khamenei could, himself. And Khamenei himself, exactly. <laughs> Ali Khamenei himself, right? Is he so, actually Mushtahed? Um, I don't know. I think he should be. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, but he must be. I think he must be. I don't know. Somebody in the live chat could confirm. I mean, like they made a Mushtabu Khamenei a Mushtahed like this just because he was the son of Khamenei. So I don't. Oh, yeah. okay. Even though it's supposed to be a very, very unique yeah. and hard thing. Like you, if you're a Mushtahed, you're somebody who's like I deciding the rules of Islam for everybody, right? Like so. Okay, so that it's very. Did they pull very... strings and make Ali Khamenei a Mushtahed? Um, I don't know. You're asking very hard questions right now. So Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that worked out, but that's those are very good questions. You're you're asking expert level questions, right? But oh, this that's is this right. is uh, this this is Alamul Huda, by the way. If you want to see what he looks like, this is the guy. Um, he is a significant figure right now. Okay. I love and, his statement that women being excited is haram. I don't think it, okay so I like, think what does that, that mean I think the statement is that is not that woman just being excited is haram I think like women being we men being able to witness in public women being so excited and so yeah, like, passionate <laughs> yeah like being exposed to that that I think that's what they consider as something degenerate something extremely degenerate you know that's what they have an issue with yeah. Anyway. Yeah. In in isolation, the statement like women being excited is haram. You're like, excuse me. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So um, there was some really good comments in the live chat. So Ibn Gayam is saying there was a documentary some years ago where when the stadium ban for women was in place, the documentary showed women even dressing up as men and sneaking into the stadium. Yes. yes this is something yes. that's very famous. Um. And also verifying that the passion for soccer in Iran was huge. I remember yeah. a few years ago when there was an incident where there was a female referee. And every time the female referee would come onto the field, the Iranian authorities would clip that out of the live broadcast. And that caused outrage because it was interfering with people's ability to watch the game and see what was happening with the game. And so Armin was saying that if people wanted to cause the downfall of the Iranian regime, they would only allow female referees so that all the footage would be cut. And then like the Iranian population out of everything, they would not stand for that. And the regime would yeah. fall. So I think this is yeah. amazing. <laughs> I mean, this is how this is a joke, though. But like, uh, yeah. So basically, um, because Iranian TV cannot show uh, female referees because they're wearing shorts and stuff. So I was thinking, like, coming up with a plan um, to just make all the referees for all sports female. So all the scenes would have to be cut, and then Iranian people really need to watch their soccer. So if Iran, if Iranian national TV keeps cutting all the scenes because the females are uh, the referees are female, um, then the Iranian people would be like, okay, that's enough. We need to topple this government because we need our football or soccer, as you say it. Um, so yeah, that, I think that would work. Just, just just because yeah, just that's my plan, Musad. You you know, just push for this. But, yeah, this will work. This is this is definitely gonna work. Yeah. I have the answers. Um, 
Cool. I think we should go on to the, uh, oh yeah, Rami is saying our society will collapse if women get excited in public. Oh, here's a, because we want to value our Twitch commentators, let's also do a Twitch comment. Uh, Living Life 27 is asking, do the leaders in Islamic countries like Iran, Saudi Arabia, etc., really believe in Islam or are they just using it to control the population? Like many people in the Saudi royal family live Western lifestyles. Okay, but in the Saudi family is different from the, the House of Saud and House of Wahhab are two different things, right? Um, so, but in Iran, they're both the same thing, <laughs> right? So, um, I okay, so I don't think you can make a general claim, okay, about the leaders, okay? When we say Islamic leaders in Iran, you're talking about you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, <laughs> okay? You're not talking about just one guy, right? Um, and I don't think you could make a general claim about how much all of them believe what they're saying or not, okay? And also, I think it's not, even with one individual, um, you can make a general claim, okay? So it depends on the Islamic leader, and I think they all different are different from each other, and the, and the degree of sincerity is also different. But even with one individual, you might have an individual that is sincerely believes some major parts of Islam, but then some rulings that they're coming up with right now, they might think that's more political than religiously sound, you know? So they might even, they might believe in Allah, Muhammad, Ali, Imam Zaman, all of that, Hussein, Zahra, all of that, they believe in all of that and they matter to them. But you might think like, okay, this whole sports stadium thing, we're using that as leverage against these other hardliners here, okay? So, you know, they might not think that there's any religious grounds for this, for example, but that doesn't mean that they don't believe in Islam as a whole, okay? So you can make a general statement. It really depends. Um, we just got a super chat. Yay, amazing. We just got a super chat from Misha saying, who gave us five Australian dollars. Thank you so much, Misha. Amazing. Saying, just wanted to say that I just joined Patreon and this is the best way to spend my Sunday afternoon. Oh, Aww, thank you, guys. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for supporting us on Patreon, which is a yeah, good guys. reminder to everyone that if yeah. you enjoy our content or what Atheist Republic does in general, the way that we build the Atheist community, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Link is in the description below. Um, we would not be able to do what we do if it was not for our Patreon supporters. And if you join us as a supporter there, you get uncensored access to all of our sexy blasphemous art. I just released a new art on there today, which is one of my favorite that we've had in a while. So go check it out. And you also get priority treatment during our live Q&As that happen every Thursday. So please consider supporting us. And you can get all of this for as little as $1 a month. Yeah, thank you, thank again, you guys. Ibn Qayyam said, well said, I'm in agree. This is very great. Ibn Qayyam is a, a critic of mine. Of, so it's, he agrees with me here. So that's very uh, interesting. Uh, you know? So thank you. Uh, for. It's good to get confirmation from Ibn Qayyam when somebody... I, by the way, I really appreciate Ibn Qayyam's disagreements with me. So, um, you know, so it's good to have you here. Anyways, can... A well-considered criticism. Especially because he comes up with like a background that he knows certain things so it's good to have that balance you know check on your um some of the things that i'm saying here you know somebody coming out like actually all right can we uh clap for the next news
Um, yeah. Not, yeah. Next news. Next news. Indian restaurant in Bahrain shuttered for denying entry to hijabi woman. According to the Tribune News of Bahrain, the Bahrain Tourism and Exhibition Authority, or BTEA, shut, shut down a restaurant after a manager refused entry to a woman wearing a hijab. Bahrain's authorities took notice of the incident after a woman, a video of a woman explaining what had happened at the restaurant circulated on social media. Lantern's Lounge and Restaurant issued a public statement on their Facebook page stating that the manager's behavior was unacceptable and that he has been suspended. The Deacon Herald, a Karnataka-based news agency, reported that the manager who blocked the woman was of Indian descent and that he had been suspended indefinitely. In India, persecution of Muslims, Muslim minorities has become increasingly normalized in public life. Currently, India is grappling with controversies surrounding female Muslim students wearing the hijab in government-run classrooms, and many people believed that this discriminatory incident was a reflection of this anti-hijab attitude making its way beyond India's borders. However, the Independent UK, in an update to their article regarding the incident, said that the manager was British and not Indian. However, this did not stop people from throwing harsh criticisms against the supposed Indian identity of the manager. Oh my God, this is racism or bigotry responded with bigotry, okay? So we had anti-Islamic bigotry, which is horrible. And then in response, people responded with anti-Indian bigotry. That's basically what just happened. Um, yeah. So, so why did the what, what the manager that was at the place? Um, so is it this is an Indian restaurant with a British manager? Is that how, okay? How so it is an Indian restaurant in Bahrain. It was originally reported that the person who did this discriminatory action was an Indian Hindu. And then it was corrected by the woman who posted on social media about it. It didn't happen to her. It happened to a friend that she was with that actually the manager was British. Now, what is confusing and frustrating to me is as people are talking about this news online, people are re repeatedly conflating uh, nationality with ethnicity with religious background. So right. it's difficult to actually know some of the dynamics or group identities of those involved. Because just because this person, they aren't Indian mm. or of Indian descent, and doesn't mean that they aren't Hindu, but people are just assuming because they're saying that they're British, that this person is now white, which isn't necessarily the case. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just when a mess say all British, around. Somebody could be Indian. Okay, so yeah, you're right. So people are saying he's Indian, and then people are like, no, actually he's British. Well, technically both of those things could be true at the same like, time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody could be a British, like, Indian. <laughs> right like i mean i mean i don't know it's british um british doesn't refer to a um ethnicity does it like you could be Brit no yeah okay so you could be british indian yeah um but yeah so it's yeah people just but also i have to, we have to be careful because i think like we also have to be very responsible because i think a lot of people even in our community when they would assume like when they hear news like this and they're like oh it was an indian manager i think a lot of people would be like of course indian 
that's you would expect that. You know what I mean? So we have to be careful not to set that those expectat those stereotypical expectations, especially because our channel is responsible for covering a lot of news about bigotry against Muslims in India. I don't want I want to be careful not to not, not for us to encourage um, an audience that all of a sudden expects that for from somebody with an Indian background. You know what I mean? People are like, oh, yeah, you're Indian, so you're more likely to be a bigot towards Muslims. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to do to be, make sure that we're not responsible for that because we need to cover the news in India when it comes to bigotry against Muslims. That's the news that needs to be covered, okay? But our constant reporting of that might leave, might encourage certain perspective on people that uh, from people that that we don't welcome, right? So you, maybe we could what we have the way we could like fight back against that is by by using a news item like this to be like, guys, just don't like, yeah, this was an Indian restaurant, and you would, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of us would just be like, oh yeah, Indian restaurant kicked out a Muslim. How how expect how expectable, right? Um, well, that was like, that's what was so interesting because this story as we're covering it is really like a story about a story. It's like a story about media analysis at this point, because that's how it was originally reported on by everyone. It was like, look at how, you know, this supposedly reportedly Indian person has the gall to go out in Bahrain of all places and discriminate against a hijabi woman. Right. Um, yeah, you're right. Actually, I wasn't even thinking about that. You're in Bahrain. <laughs> What the hell? Regard actually, regardless of who did it, the ethnicity or nationality of the person who did this, they had a, a lot of nerve. We're like, what were they expecting to happen Wait. in the middle of Bahrain? Like, yeah, like isn't hijab like common in Bahrain? How would you? It, was she wearing a niqab or something? Like, what was he thinking? Like, what was he exactly thinking? Can you like what happened actually? Exactly, do it, we it know? Doesn't make any sense. What were you? Yeah. <laughs> Like, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you have to like um, shut down the restaurant to like twenty five percent of the women there if you want to ban hijabis? It's so weird. Well, and also like the the Maybe. the tourism and exhibition agency, like the restaurant got shut down over this, right? Well, and I then mean, it maybe. got reopened and the restaurant, you know, was like having we're we're a night of free food for everyone to kind of like make up for this incident. Um I mean, it's not fair to the restaurant. You had like one stupid manager. I don't think the rest of the employees at the restaurant should be punished for this one manager, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Murtad Skeptic is saying, let's discriminate against the dominant group. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, okay, so I don't think in Bahrain most... How many women in Bahrain? Like, I know it's an Islamic country, but how common is a job? I don't like, know. I know this is not the best way to look for it, but if we search for Bahrain woman in Google Images, I'm I'm thinking I'm getting a 50-50 split on hijabi, non-hijabi. Okay, now maybe like we're actually more hijabis. Yeah, I'm getting a whole bunch of hijabis, and I would think Google Images it would be. I know it's just not the scientific poll. The authoritative anything, but... source of Google Images. But yeah, but you look at for Bahrain woman. 
I'm getting more hijabis. Yeah, at least half of them are hijabi. So I don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. where's this? What this? Maybe there. Maybe this is not exactly what happened. Like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. somebody living in Bahrain thinking like, oh yeah, no hijabis here. Thank you. In the in the middle of an Islamic country, having a restaurant. <laughs> like, I there must be some like either this person is like a complete idiot, um, or the news is not being reported accurately. I don't know. Bubble sure. is asking a good question. So, is it? What do you think about the government shutting down that restaurant because of this incident? Is is that excessive? I mean, they didn't shut it down permanently, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they did something illegal. I, I'm assuming discrimination is illegal. I yes. think they're. I, I think it's fair. They're enforcing the law. They're like, your business is doing something illegal. And get your act together before we open it. I don't think that's excessive by the government. Do you think that's excessive by the government? I think that's fine. Um, it depends on the the like timeline of events. Like if they shut it down even after they had suspended the manager, then I don't think that's fair. Like if the restaurant had already taken the you know um, corrective action and they still shut them down, I feel like that's not necessarily right. Um, yeah. But it, personally, I would prefer like a fine or maybe like an, ex, an, an inspection. Um, yeah, it, it, d- it depends on kind of how things uh, actually, f- the events followed each other. <laughs> Murtad Skeptic is saying, it reminds me of that restaurant that went out of business after introducing their progressive new man tax. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we have somebody in the live chat not getting how... The difference oh regsy boys being our local do to do once again <laughs> saying britain because i can't use derogatory language on youtube <laughs> saying is british british is indian are you freaking real believe it or not regsy boy there are people of indian descent who have lived in britain for generations yeah so Shocking. you could be british and yeah you could be ethnically um, or national, you know, your nationality could be Indian and British at the same time, or you could just be only ethnically Indian, born in India, born in Britain, and be British, right? If you're born, you could have you have, could have lived in your families for generations could have lived in Britain, um, and you're born there and you lived there and you have went to school there, you would be a British Indian. So what's what's the? I don't understand what the what's the confusion there. Yeah, here. <laughs> Random Buddhist guy is saying this. Random Buddhist guy is saying that he thinks it was a British citizen of Indian Hindu ancestry. Okay, we have no way yeah. to verify this. Again, like I said, the news articles that I was reading about this like continually conflated all of these different groups. So it's very unclear about kind of the identity of the person who did the discrimination, who did the bad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, Atheist Republican is saying, I mean, Bubble is saying, South Hall in London looks more Indian than my neighborhood in India. <laughs> Oh, um, this is an int- yes. That's this is a and that's actually a good thing for uh, for London because mm-hmm. I don't know if this is racist against the British, but they don't have good food. Is that racist to say? No, I mean, everyone knows that the best food the in England thing? comes from Indians. That's yeah, like I mean, even accepted by the British. <laughs> like yeah, they made tikka I mean, masala. <laughs> like. Like every, from all the countries that have like a famous like national dish, okay? Like think about the British national dish is fish and chips, fish and chips, okay? Like 
you needed India, like United Kingdom needed Indians, okay? If if it's just for the sake of the food, they did need that, okay? Ibn um, Qayyim saying Shia suffer from a lot of discrimination in Bahrain by the Sunni minority who control most of the wealth in the country. That's true, and that's why the Islamic Republic of Iran is trying to use the Hussein narrative to make them rise up against the authorities. It's trying, this is why Bahrain is a lot of, very afraid of a of Iranian influence. By the way, the Iranian influence in Bahrain makes the oppression against Shia minority even stronger because the Bahraini officials are afraid of the Shias because of the Shia Iranian influence on them. So, you know, it's mm. not it's not working in their favor at all. Yeah. Um yeah. What is this? We can read this last and then we go to the next. PK is saying Indians are not allowed dual nationality. Indians have fought for uk in the world first world war well okay i'm not sure about this is this okay a policy of the indian government or a policy of the british government that's not clear to me okay in that case then the you could be in, ethnically indian and british at the same time okay yeah maybe not if that's well, true that's what then we were maybe, talking about in the first place no no but because he i give he's responding to one of my examples like i give uh, like you could be either ethnically indian and british or your nationality could be Indian and British at the same time, but apparently that is if that if he's right, then that is not possible. Um, oh yeah, this is actually a very funny thing. The British Bob was saying the British colonize the whole world looking for spices, but still make crappy food. <laughs> okay, so the you're gonna insult here, the national treasure that is Gordon Ramsay? How dare you? Oh, actually, you're right. But but that means that if you want good food, you need to be colonized. By India instead of colonizing India. Okay, so that's how it works. <laughs> Anyways, can we clap uh, for the next news? Um, this is actually one where I don't think we should clap, just because it is kind of a sensitive is issue. Yeah. All right. Okay. Next. I almost clap. Next news. Next news. Local San Diego Muslim imam survives knife attack called terrorist. Once again, I say terrorist for the YouTube algorithm, but I'm talking about, you know, violent, radical extremists. Anyways, in San Diego, recently, Sheikh Uthman ibn Farouk, a San Diego-based Muslim imam, was followed and confronted after his public preaching. The imam was stabbed after an altercation that started with the suspect verbally abusing him. Farouk had been, has been preaching since his early 20s, and he is known to engage in conversation with both Muslims and non-Muslims on his YouTube channel. Farouk posted a video explaining the situation and announcing he is doing fine after the attack. Last year, a famous ex-Muslim apostate prophet invited him to a debate. Farouk did not respond to this invitation. However, Farouk criticized famous atheist YouTubers like apostate prophet for not condemning the attacks on Muslim preachers like himself. Apostate prophet and other Islamic critic David Wood released a video responding to Farouk. Uh, Lieutenant Abin Sharkey of the San Diego Police Department said that the San Diego Police Department is aware of the video and is working closely with Farouk. The Council of American Islamic Relations, or CARE, San Diego chapter, condemned the incident and called it a bias-motivated stabbing. So I wanted to cover this story because this was something that was, one, a very big event. It caused a lot of outrage on Twitter and kind of the um, part of the Twitter community that's, you know, ex-Muslims and Muslims going back and forth and interacting with each other. 
um, I think it's really important to talk about when there are um, these, you know, bias motivated stabbings or incidents of um, anti-Muslim bigotry. And um, I also wanted to talk about kind of the contention in relationship between apostate prophet and uh, Sheikh Uthman, because I think that's an important part of this as well. Um, Armin, did you hear about this event when it happened? Yes. Okay. I want to talk about this in a responsible way. Okay. Um, because, you know, as ex-Muslim activists, we might be motivated to jump on the accusation part of Apostle Prophet first. Okay. And, and I think it's important to address that and we, I will address that. Okay. But before we do that, the main thing that we need to address here is the condemnation of the stabbing, right? Of how unfair and how brutal and how disgusting it is. This man, this imam, was peacefully inviting people to Islam. He, you know, he was he didn't do anything that harmed anybody, and you know he 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 could be, as far as we know, a genuinely good person. Okay even if we disagree with what he accusing Apostle Prophet, that's ridiculous and stuff. But, I mean, even if he wasn't a good person, this is still hor horrific, right? So our first, second, and third priority should be the condemnation of this. And because as much as we might want to say, like, you know, we are against violence and we're just criticizing religion and we're not attacking Muslims, we have to be honest that our criticism of Islam could be misused by people who want to demonize Muslims and it might lead to um, hatred towards Muslims as a whole. So it's very important that we constantly defend Muslims, their rights and their safety and their security in parallel to aggressively criticizing Islam. These two, you can't just be like, I'm not... I'm not advocating for hatred towards Muslims. I'm just criticizing Islam. I don't think that's good enough. I think given that we know the effect of criticism of Islam on certain people, I think the most important, it's very important for us to advocate for the safety and the rights of Muslims parallel to our aggressive stance against Islam. Because, because we know that our words, even if we don't intend it, could have that effect, okay? So that's the main priority. I just want to make sure that we don't jump on the API accusation right away because this is more important, okay? Um, and I think now with that out of the way, um, we also want to talk about this ridiculous accusation uh, of a posted pro an opposite prophet, okay? And I don't want to... It's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to do because we're now like ridiculing somebody that has just been stabbed right i don't know if there's a are we being i don't know if it's ridicule so much i am just i want to ridicule him oh <laughs> i i just want to just okay, say, then. Like, i just want to defend him but also like i wish you well i hope you get protection i hope you're you i mean i i i hope i i we appreciate the fact that you're against violence that you're preaching islam in a peaceful way that you don't wish harm upon other people. So we appreciate all of that. And I just hope me going aggressively against this accusation that you make against Apostle Prophet, 
I hope that doesn't take in anything away from the fact that we wish you safety and good health, you know, and, you know, and we condemn anybody that wishes you harm, okay? But this was a genuinely ridiculous accusation. And it just shows how so many Muslims who are against ex-Muslims, you know, people like Ali Dawa, and I mean, this man is like a lot more, I think, mature and uh, logical than somebody like Ali Dawa. But you can see even somebody like him assumes that ex-Muslims don't have really an issue with attacks on Muslims. I mean, and they're so ignorant about this, um, especially with somebody like Apostle Prophet, who has made it clear many times before how much he is against violence on Muslims. Like how, and I mean, you're an imam that is doing dawah, you're in the scene. How could you not know this? How could you go out and make an accusation against Apostle Prophet saying that he wouldn't condemn this? Like, are do you not do research? Do you not know? And implying know? that he's responsible. Implying he's responsible. But like, do you not try to do some background analysis and information gathering about the person you're talking about before you throw out an accusation like that? Like, would you not think that's somewhat responsible? Like, would you not, would you not like to see maybe Apostle Prophet has already condemned people who are violent multiple times? And then you are claiming that Apostle Prophet is somebody who wouldn't come and condemn this, but right after it, he came and clearly condemned it multiple times. So where's your accusation now? As soon now? as he found out, in the video where David Wood and Apostate Prophet respond to um, Sheikh Uthman, what I thought was really funny was they were like, in the video where he first announces that this happened, he says, David Wood and AP haven't condemned this. And they're like, this was like the first time I found out about it. Like, you said in the video that this happened today, and at the same video, you're like, they haven't condemned it. Well, it just happened. <laughs> yeah, but first of all, now what do you say? Now they condemned it, okay? And also, even before the event, they have condemned it. They have condemned violence against Muslims in general many, many times. Many times. But you're you're a per are you going to come and did he come and apologize for saying he will, they won't condemn it now that they did condemn it? Like, mm, do you not, no are you not going to come and say like, oh my God, I had that wrong assumption about these ex-Muslims or like about these critics of Islam. I thought they wouldn't condemn something like this. I am. I realize that they do condemn it. And I also now discovered that they have been condemning us stuff like this all the time. How are you going to come and say how wrong you were about your assumptions about somebody like Apostle Prophet? Are you going to mention that? Are you, are you just going to act like it didn't happen? And now that you're asking for people like to condemn these things, are you going to condemn the violence against coffers and infidels in your scripture? You know what I mean? Like, like No, he explicitly endorses it and works towards an Islamic state where he advocates for the execution of apostates. Yes. So and he will proudly say so. Look at the hypocrisy here. Look at the, like, okay, guys, I'm not doing whataboutism because whataboutism is saying what we're doing that is wrong is okay because you're doing the same thing, okay? It's not whataboutism when we're saying that, no, both are wrong. Whataboutism is like, A is not wrong because B has done the same thing, okay? But if you say A is wrong and B is wrong also, that is not whataboutism, that is consistency. 
that is a demand for consistency and calling out hypocrisy. So don't confuse whataboutism with a demand for consistency and calling out hypocrisy. Because you, this man is being a hypocrite. Because he, he thinks like Muslims wouldn't come out and say condemnness, but you yourself are somebody who are actively and transparently and openly working for a state and being proud of the fact of getting to a place where people like me, who is an ex-Muslim, would get executed for being an ex-Muslim, right? And you're like, oh, Islamophobia. But look at look look at the level of ignorance that we're dealing with. Like this is why a lot of Muslim, a lot of people Muslims who hate ex-Muslims. Imagine if this person with this level of involvement on online discussion is this misinformed about our position. Imagine the average Muslim. I mean, I don't blame a lot of Muslims from, for hating us if this is their perspective on us. If, if, if many Muslims think that when we are criticizing Islam, we're also people who wouldn't mind violent attacks on them, I would like, okay, now I understand why they hate ex-Muslims, <laughs> okay? And our job is to be like, guys, like, this is why Atheist Republic is also very much involved in defending Muslim rights and fighting for their rights and defending their safety. It's for the sake of Muslims themselves, but it's also for the sake of showing religious people that our attacks on their religion is not at all suggests that we're also against them as individuals okay to show that we how we are able to do both one person who gets it who who mentions it who is very religious but apparently understands this unlike ali Dabba, for example ali Dabba on the debate with apostle prophet he was like so you're like oh you say that you don't want to attack on muslims but your words are encouraging it like what are you talking about right like Ali Dawa is saying that Muhammad Hijab thinks that, but Sajid, uh, what's his last name? I always forget. Lipam? Sajid Lipam. Lipam. Sajid Lipam is somebody who is, even though he's very religious, very fundamentalist, he understands that if an ex Muslim or a murtad or a kafir or an infidel tells you that he is not for violence against Muslims, you should accept that. Okay? So I'm very grateful for somebody like Sajid who accepts that we're not for that. Like he just, you know, we're like, we're saying it. What do you want? What, what, what else? So I, I'm grateful. Like, even though I don't agree with his views, I'm grateful for for somebody like I, we, we, we take what we can get. Right. Yeah. I, there's a few really important points that I want to bring up. First of all, secular rarity is saying God is say Armin's uh, secular humanist points have been 100 tonight. Um, secondly, um, apostate, uh, Mario is saying apostate prophet completely condemned the attack, but I think his friend David Wood tried to claim it was a hoax. So I watched the entire two hour stream of apostate prophet and David Wood going over this incident. And this is something that I did want to talk about. David Wood repeatedly used language, which is like, I don't want to make an assumption, but this is a little bit, huh? And the, 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 like leaving the door open 
for we don't know about the legitimacy of this attack. And I felt that Apostate Prophet did a really good job shutting that down and going through saying, this is the, all the evidence that we have that says that leads me to believe that this is a credible, real attack and we should condemn it accordingly. And AP also made a really good point saying, if something like this happened to me, I would hate to think of all the people who are against me, all the Muslim community going after me saying, this isn't real, prove it, this is fake, blah, 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 like how hurtful that would be. Right. So I thought AP did a really good job, like humanizing the situation and just talking about like, we have no reason to believe that this is fake thus far. We should treat it as real. We should condemn it accordingly and stop trying to um, uh, put forward any sort of conspiracies to the contrary. Um, yeah, that's very responsible. So I, I, I really appreciate Apostate Prophet for really holding firm on that. And he also, in his stream, gave a lot of evidence about like why he thinks this is completely real. Um, yes? No, I, I, I wanted to just confirm what you're saying. That's I didn't know that would happen. Even if it is a hoax, we have no reason to believe it. And we're going to treat it as real until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Ibn Gayyam is saying, Atheist Republic, Har Sultan made a video of Sheikh Usman mocking him for calling the police for being attacked after being stabbed. Disgusting. Is this true? Armin, you keep up on Harris's content a lot more not, than I do. Well, not all of it. I don't know if this is true. Wait, let me read this again. Made a video of Sheikh Usman mocking him for calling the police for being attacked after being Wait, why would he not call the police? I don't even if understand that's, this. If, okay, Ibn Gayyam, I haven't seen this. If that's true, that's completely it. insane. Um, but we don't know. I don't know if if this is an accurate reporting of what Harris Sultan has done. So we can't. We okay. So I think the responsible thing, Susanna, is to say that we can't comment because we don't know the details. We can't comment on it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But if you get assaulted, call the police. <laughs> um. And oh, wait, no. This question first. Um. PK is saying these attacks by idiots on religious people is so stupid. It's so frustrating because it totally hurts our cause and gives room to these Dawa people to do one about ism. Okay, okay. I'm PK, I have an issue with what you're saying, okay? Because your main concern with these attacks should be the fact that people are being hurt, okay? That should, you know, not the fact that this is going to hurt our activism. I mean, that could be something that you're concerned about, but that should be far, way farther than your, than your list okay so you're saying these attacks by idiots on religious people is so stupid it's so frustrating because it totally hurts our cause i mean it hurts the person who's being stabbed okay so that is that should be that is more important you should be highlighting that first <laughs> okay so you should not you know you uh, your main goal should be not, not wanting to see people being harmed like that right i'm not saying you don't okay i'm not saying you don't care about that i'm just saying even if your intentions are different, it's important to be responsible about how we talk about things. And I think it's important to show that your main care and your main priority is avoiding harm, not just our, you know, yeah. Not just um, not just how this is going to be used by people who are ideologically against us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that Ibn Gayam asked a very good question about the kind of language that Har Sultan uses. Um, it is kind of outside the focus on this news so um maybe you should ask that during the q a section where we can really dive into it because today we have to be focused on um you know the news show but right. very important question um so the 
next story is not good and it's freaking insane. So okay, just so a heads no up clapping. that we cannot clap. Okay. Okay. Next news. Next news. Female students kill teacher over blasphemy in Pakistan. On March 28th, Safura Bibi, a teacher at a religious seminary school in the city of Dera Ismail Khan in Pakistan, was stabbed to death by two of her students and a colleague. The attackers were Umra Aman, 24 years old, her nieces Razia Hanfi and Aisha Nomani, 21 and 17 years old, respectively. The perpetrators are members of the Masood uh, tribe living, living in Pakistan's federally administered tribal areas. Uh, Najam Has, Hasnam uh, Likat, the district police officer, said that one of the murderer's relatives, a 13-year-old girl, dreamt that, quote, the victim had committed blasphemy against the prophet and the prophet had ordered them to slaughter the victim. Police rushed to the crime scene after they were notified of the attack. They recovered the weapon used for the stabbing. They arrested the attackers in their homes hours after the murder. The victim's uncle said that Sephora's body was found in the street with her throat cut. According to the police report, the three had planned their attack against Sephora with Aman leading the plan. Investigators uh, st stated that Sephora may have been attacked due to a personal grudge. Okay, so this is crazy. So based on the reporting that I have seen, even from sources like Reuters, in Al Jazeera and Vice, this woman was stabbed because of a dream that a child had. Wait, what? Wait, what? Yes. So there was reportedly a 13 year old girl that had a dream that this teacher committed blasphemy against the Prophet Muhammad. And because of that, three other women have went and killed her. Now, just to be clear, some sources report that some one of the women was a teacher, the other were students. Some sources report that all of them were teacher colleagues. So there is a little bit of discrepancy of clarity of the details there. But yes, that's what's being reported over a dream of a child. Um, that's what they're saying, right? Okay. Now it's well known and well established that the blasphemy allegations and accusations in Pakistan are frequently used to settle personal grudges. Like, for example, there was recently a woman in Pakistan sentenced to death, 26 years old, sentenced to death for blasphemy against the Prophet Muhammad. But she says that the accuser accused her of blasphemy because she rejected his advances. Right? So that's her side of the story. So there is some reporting that says that this Wait, may be due to a personal grudge, but it's also, but their story is that this originated because of a dream. Okay, I am so confused. Um, what, who rejected whose advances? So this was a separate story that we covered several months ago. I'm just giving an example oh. of oh, okay, another okay. blasphemy okay. allegation. Okay, let's that, not bring that in because this is confusing enough, okay? Um, so... There's two narratives here. One is that this is a personal grudge, and the other one is that some a kid dreamed that the teacher committed blasphemy, but th that's why they killed her. Uh, why would they kill her? Because of a dream? I don't. Can because you she had a dream that they, she committed blasphemy against the Prophet Muhammad, and the Prophet Muhammad commanded her to oh. 
go after her yeah. to protect okay, but his what, honor. Okay, so so the other people who were involved with this, why did they? They didn't have. Why they just accepted this child's dream as a commandment from Muhammad? <gasps> That's the story. Wait a second. Wait a second. There is hadith on this. I think there's a what? saying. There, there's a belief in Islam that if you dream about Muhammad, it can only be Muhammad. Can somebody confirm this? Meaning Maybe that if you see Muhammad in a dream, it's legitimate? Yeah, that is actually him. I heard that somewhere. Maybe that's why they believed her, because that's why the, um, an authentic hadith repeated by our course said, whoever sees me in a dream actually sees me in truth. <gasps> it is true. An authentic what? hadith reported by Abu. So this might make, okay, I don't know if this is why they believe they accepted her accusation. But there is an authentic hadith uh, by Abu uh, Qatada quotes the prophet as saying, whoever sees me in a dream actually sees me in truth. Uh, this is related by, Abu, by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So by both of the main sources of authentic Islamic hadith. Wow. Uh, and a different, a different hadith by, reported by Abu Huraira quotes the prophet saying, whoever sees me in a dream will see me when awake. Okay. So I don't know if this is the explanation for it because I'm like, okay, this child saw her Muhammad in a dream t- commanding her to kill this person. But why would the other people be like, okay, we're going to help you do it? Well, because maybe it's because, again, I don't know if this is true or not, because if she saw her Muhammad in a dream and Muhammad said this, then Muhammad literally, they believe Muhammad, it wasn't just a dream. Muhammad literally told her to take this action. So, if that narrative is true, okay? But even if the second narrative is true, which they had a grudge against her, this is still about blasphemy because they were using blasphemy accusation as a cover. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. Because it drives me crazy when people bring in this grudge aspect to things to say, no, this isn't actually Islamic. When their cover-up for the whole situation or excuse to legitimize it is on the basis of is- Islamic attitudes and doctrines that are imbued from the text. Yeah. So either way, it's still about blasphemy. Whether they're lying or they're telling the truth, even if they're lying and this wasn't a, about a, her committing blasphemy and it was about the grudge, they're trying to they're trying to ex- make an excuse for it um, by saying that they had a dream about Muhammad telling us to... This is like... Okay, by the way, Am I being sexist to think like things are next level when a, a bunch of schoolgirls attack killed their teeth? Like if this no, was men? No, not at all. No, because this is something that's very important that I wanted to get to is that one thing that's being very much highlighted when talking about this news is how unusual it is and shocking it is to people that it was a bunch of women who went and did this. Because mm. if you think about it, blasphemy lynchings are a form of um, honor killing. And they're a form of honor culture. And this is something that is usually taken upon and um, uh, demonstrated, materialized, manifested by men, enacted upon by men. And so the fact that it was a bunch of young women who went and did this act has Mm. shocked people. It's highly rare and highly unusual. Yeah, I mean, I hope I'm, uh, I don't, I don't want to be accused of sexism against men here. 
but it's genuinely true that men are just more violent because of testosterone and stuff like that. Okay. So, you know, this is next level. Like the, you know, but anyway, yeah. The fact that even in Pakistan, even women are feeling like going stabby stabby because of blasphemy accusation. Like Pakistan is just getting is going like by the way this is not us like using anecdotal evidence to describe how bad pakistan is becoming for people who are new here the trends the statistical trends is absolutely does that like this is like not a one-off thing this is pakistan is turning into i mean it is a hellhole um do you want to highlight some stark comments and read some stark comments yeah let's look at this um Murtad Skeptic is saying some Muslims contest to that, meaning the whole dream and Hadith situation. So some Muslims contest to that by either saying that it's only true of people who actually knew how he looked, since you can't actually see his real person if you didn't know how he looks. So that's the way in which they kind of contest or Okay, but that, but that doesn't... The dream of the prophet. Okay, I think the people who are trying to discredit it is because they know how de how destructive that belief is, right? For Because this way, anybody could just come and claim that Muhammad just... Because I had a dream about Muhammad, and it has to be Muhammad since it was in my dream, and he told me this. So all of a sudden, every single claim about Muhammad telling you something in, in a dream <laughs> should be taken seriously because it was verbatim word of Muhammad. So I think like people are trying to find ways to be like, okay, this can't be right, right? But, I mean, the Hadith itself doesn't have those clarification conditions yeah yeah so i don't know how you're gonna and bubble is saying if you believe that god ordered muhammad to marry a six-year-old in a dream it becomes easy to give such importance to dreams very good point bubble saying mm -hmm. this was a, a, a means through which muhammad himself received messages okay but here's the thing you can never say that god spoke to you in islam because um that would if you say god spoke to you um in a dream in islam then you're you're claiming prophethood and if you claim prophethood, you're claiming that Muhammad was not the seal of the uh, prophets. He was not the last prophet. And that by itself is punishable by death. Okay. Um, I mean, in some, in, I mean, in some places, I mean, Islamically, it should, they always, it should always, they, they think I'm trying to, I'm trying to not get banned by YouTube because YouTube might think I'm saying it. Okay. So just you know what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying right now people are uh, making it punishable by death, but if it was an Islamic state, it would be punishable by death. So that's why you could claim that Muhammad said something to me rather than saying God said something to me. But yeah. anyways, Ibn, let's read the Ibn, Ibn is saying, blasphemy public lynchings are still very rare in Pakistan, about four per year in a country of over 200 million people. Okay, but statistically and empirically, it is still it's way, way, way higher than every other country on the planet. And that's only just yeah. talking about lynchings. When you also bring into the fact of allegations, um, those who are being accused, those who are actually charged, it's, it's, I, um, last time I looked and it, it's gotten so much worse since 2019. The last statistics that we have that really collects and systematically organizes this data, the end of that data was collected towards, 2018 2019 it's gotten so much worse since then um it's 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 i think the next country with uh, these incidents it's like half as much and it's iran so in terms of the issue of blasphemy allegations specifically which is a specific type of crime a specific type of reason for murder it it blows every other country out the water so it's worth 
discussing. And people yeah. say, well, this is this is a drop in the bucket in terms of the larger issues of killings in Pakistan. But it's like, this is still, in terms of the reason for these murders and killings, so much more severe than everywhere else in the world. That deserves attention. Okay, I, but I don't. Okay, I don't understand this comment. Blasphemy, public lynchings are still very rare in Pakistan. About four per year in a country of two hundred million. Four a year of public lynching is insanely high. What do you like? What did you like? What is your standard? Do you, do you want like? Do you think like two hundred million? Do you, did you think for a country of two hundred million there were a more um, a high number would be what would be like 100 public lynchings per year four per year in a country you know you're zooming at one a very specific type of violence okay like yes if you <laughs> if public lynching which is such an extreme form of violence okay happening four times in a year in a country imagine what that says about violence in general for stuff like this in Pakistan. You're talking, you're, you know, it, it, it's almost as if I say, like, I don't know, cannibalism in Germany happens only once a year. I mean, once a year? Well, like, well, the population of Germany is this many, and once a year, given that population of Germany is this much, is not very high. I mean, what do you mean that's not, it's not very high? Once a year in a country, an act of cannibalism would be astronomically, it would be incredibly high, okay? Wait, when you I, talk about public lynching, is it's crazy, it's crazy, crazy high uh, level of violence. And if you have to, it suggests a broader general uh, trend of tension over blasphemy because all of the tensions around blasphemy in Pakistan is not just met by public lynching, Okay is accusations of blasphemy, getting arrested, getting harassed, getting beaten up, um, getting threats, um, losing your job. Um, you know, there's, you know, if you add all of that get together, uh, if you look at the reports about what the situation over blasphemy cases are in Pakistan, the situation is extremely tense. It's extremely horrific. The level, the level of, uh, you know, the, the threat to safety and the level of tension that p especially minorities are living under in Pakistan and four public lynchings every year suggests a broader and more general problem surrounding these issues in Pakistan beyond just the public lynching them themselves. But go on. Um, we really need to move to the next news. Okay, okay. Because okay. you have your meeting and we have a lot more news to cover. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So we need to be quick. Okay, sorry about that. But does that was that my point clear? Like today? Yeah, and then he brings up, you know, how it's much higher in India with public mob lynchings. Well, you have to understand that blasphemy is a subsection of public mob lynchings, right? So in there's so many issues of mob violence in Pakistan that we can't even cover, particularly against Hindu children. It happens so frequently that we can't even cover it. So, like I was saying, this is a very very specific subset. Of that larger right. issue that you're just really quickly, and you say, Yeah, there are bigger issues in Pakistan than blasphemy. Okay, like we don't, it's, it's I mean, as if I, yeah, okay, sorry, it, we we can talk about things that are not the biggest problem, okay, if as long as they are a problem, okay. Uh, can we clap for the next news? Yes, we can, okay, next news.
Next news. The Pope finally gives an apology for Canadian Indigenous residential schools. On April 1st, the Catholic Church, an official oh. apology after years of... Wait, wait, wait. Go back a little bit. You got cut. Okay. The Pope finally gives an apology for Canadian Indigenous residential schools. On April 1st, the Catholic Church finally issued an official apology after years of muted responses to calls from Canadian Indigenous leaders. The Pope was addressing a delegate of survivors, which included members of First Nations, Matisse, and Inuit community members. The apology came after multiple Canadian delegates met with Vatican officials and the Pope... Uh, demanding that wait and the pope to express their demand for an apology in 2015 canada's truth and reconciliation commission declared that the residential school system was a cultural genocide which operated from 1883 to 1996 catholic institutions ran more than two-thirds of those residential schools the New York Times reported that the commission claimed that, quote, at least 4,100 students died while attending the schools, many from mistreatment, neglect, others from disease or accident. In, in most of those cases, the families were not notified. The Pope has plans to visit Canada and issue another apology. He said he intends to travel to Canada where he, quote, would be better able to express his closeness. After how many years? 200 years? I mean, it first started in 1883. Okay. So I don't want people to, like, congratulate the Vatican for doing this. I want people to focus on uh, the fact that they did this horrific thing and they couldn't even, not only they wouldn't address it, not only they wouldn't fix it, not only they wouldn't um, condemn it, not only they wouldn't try to find justice for the victims, they wouldn't even apologize for it. They wouldn't even go as far as apologizing for it. It, it took this much public, something so easy. Even this Pope who's supposed to be like, I don't know, more progressive, like the first thing they should have done was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Uh, this is like, we, we apologize, we condemn this. Like they... Even for something simple like that, they had to be pressured into it, okay? They don't deserve any congratulations or, you know, the fact that they couldn't just do this on their own and they have their arms have to be twisted to do something so obvious, that's what you should be highlighting, okay? And now that they're apologizing, I hope nobody thinks like, okay, we got, we got what we wanted. You know, the, the entire, all the victims of the Catholic Church is more than enough to completely dissolve everything that is that is the Vatican and sell sell all their asses. It's, it's not all of their assets is not going to be nearly enough to uh, compensate to even begin to compensate some of uh, a fraction of the victims that the Vatican Church has. Right. So the, the the mere existence of the Vatican Church is already way beyond acceptable like um, after all they've done. So nobody should accept this apology. No, sh Nobody should congratulate them for this. You should be demanding for the whole thing to be torn apart, everything that they own to be sold and given to the victims for the past, I don't know, ever um, of what, you know. Yeah. Here's a little bit more of his statement. Quote, I feel shame, sorrow and shame for the role that a number of Catholics just just a number of Catholics, particularly those with educational responsibilities have had in all these things that wounded you in the abuses you suffered and then the lack of respect shown for your identity, your culture, and even your spiritual values. 
Um, what I thought was incredible was that he, like the Canadian government himself, Trudeau put forward a strongly worded statement about the Catholic Church's lack of an apology. They've been pushing for this, the Canadian government itself, for years. If I'm remembering correctly, Trudeau even said that they might engage in criminal proceedings against the the, the Catholic Church particularly because of their lack of apology. Like, I was like, holy crap, it doesn't get more stronger, like, worded than that. Um, Bobble has a very good comment, saying, losing track of the crap the Pope has to routinely apologize for. Yeah. And, and remember this, and then put that right next to the fact that the Vatican Church uh, consider itself to be a source of moral authority for the entire world. And imagine how ridiculous that is. And imagine every single person who, who t keeps telling us how we need religion to be moral. While they're busy themselves constantly apologizing for all the crimes that they committed in the name of religion. It doesn't make sense... It, it, there's so many different levels where this like doesn't make sense. Like, why did it take so long when your statement was so mild? Like, this wasn't a statement that was seemed to be at least you know very carefully crafted by a PR firm. You know, where we have a real detailed and specific acknowledgement of what we did. Because I feel like real apologies for something of this gravity should say specifically what we did wrong specifically how we tried to erase your identity make a man out of the savage etc but there is there is no specifics it's just i feel sorrow and shame and we we disrespected your 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 spirituality and stuff like that i mean it's just like so milk toast and mild it'll be interesting to see how this pans out when they the pope actually goes to canada um maybe we'll get more of kind of what i would have expected Remains to be seen, um, but it's incredible that they that they skirted it for so long, and then when it finally came, it was it was like this. Um, yeah. Oh, and music guys making a very good point, saying it shouldn't only be for Canada, to be honest, and that's true. Like these kind of school systems were set up all across the United States as well, and these these methods of cultural genocide against. I mean, people all around the world, but particularly all the way through the Americas is just well-documented and just established and known. Um, oh, boy, this is a big comment. I don't even know if we can respond to this, Armin. Like, we um, PK responds to it himself in the next comment. Okay, so Ibn Qayyim is saying, although the past actions of the Catholic Church have been disgusting, they have done far more, they have far more progressive values in recent years compared to Islamic and Hindu leaders. And PK responds, I think that's far more due to the pressure from the Western world than their own moral values. Yes, I completely agree. All right. Yeah, I was going to say something similar, but because we run out of time, um, we will just PK, we just let PK's response stand. Okay. Um, can we clap for the next news? Um, yes, it's controversial, but we can, we, we can clap for this. Next news. Next news. Four sentenced to death for murder of Bangladeshi secularist blogger. On March 30th, a Bangladesh court sentenced four men to death for the brutal killing of secular blogger Anata Bijoy Das in 2015. 
Anata was a, a contributor to Mukto Mona, a Bengali blog for secularists, atheists, and freethinkers. Along with Anata, two other Bangladeshi secular bloggers were killed in 2015. Judge uh, Nurul Amin uh, B. Plab, in his verdict, said, quote, if these accused are not given exemplary punishment, people of other terrorist, uh, violent, radical extremists, um, extremist ideologies will be encouraged to commit such killings, adding, quote, the main purpose behind these killings was to spread fear and apprehension among writers who wrote or spoke about liberalism, progressivism, science, and prejudice prevalent in the society through the brutality and horror of the killing. Bangladesh, a predominantly Muslim country, is a distressing place for advocates of human rights and freedom of speech. Das's brother-in-law, who was present at the verdict, called for the arrest of the remaining suspects who are still at large. Um, I think I'm going to have an unpopular view here. I'm against the death penalty, even when it comes to people like this. Um... Yeah, I, I am. I mean, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying it based on principle. Um, so far, all the data that we have suggests that uh, the harm from the death penalty outweighs the benefits from it. It doesn't have the. Um, it, do, it doesn't have the effects like from what is it called the deterrence effects that people think it has like okay so even if this if the studies shows that the deterrence effects of the death penalty doesn't work in countries like united states imagine how little of how less of an effect it has um in countries where martyrdom for the sake of islam is is considered is seen as a value right um yeah i don't i don't know i, I think it would like and also in general the, the cost and, and in general i don't want any government to have the authority to just take life uh, unless it's uh, for self-defense you know unless it's in in protection of other people's lives or something like that like in in, in a conflict like in a defensive war or something like that like i don't think like that right should be given to a government i think the consequences of that is higher than the benefits so even though you know it seemed like based on the side that we are on, we're like, this was a secular blogger, um, somebody that we, we, we want to defend and we, you know, and we are so aggressively against all the people who have been sentenced here. I still don't want to defend the death penalty, uh, even for people like that. What do you think, Susanna? No, I completely agree. I wanted to read a quote from Al Jazeera. So, Sweden-based exiled Bangladeshi journalist Tasnim Khalil condemned the capital punishment given to Das's killers. Quote, it can never be a tool for ensuring justice. It, this horrible medieval practice has no place in a modern civilized society, he told Al Jazeera. However, Khalil added that by slaughtering Das and other Bangladeshi rationalists, the killers, quote, have successfully ensured that religious issues are now a taboo topic in the country. 
Very few, if any, dare to speak up on religion these days, lest they are too, lest they too are killed while the government watches from the sideline. And I think that's really something that's very important to highlight is that this spate of violence that happened in 2015 and a little bit in 2016 against secularists and LGBT rights activists in particular, many of these um, killings were associated with ISIS or by Al-Qaeda, um, has really set Bangladesh just like the the chilling effect that it has had on the Bangladeshi society cannot be understated. Um, it's so dangerous for people, and it has really stifled and stunted people's efforts to just push for like basic, very small bits of progressivism within their society. Um, so it had you know just. The precedent that this set, I, I don't think it, we can really even articulate the effect that this had on Bangladesh, like these brutal killings. There were so many during 2015. Um, and on one hand, people, you know, are like, oh, wow, look at the government is actually taking a stand against this. But then on, you know, the other hand, people are like, we actually don't support the death penalty under any conditions. And I don't think this actually is justice. And many of these people are still fugitives of the law. So how effective is this really? It's it's a really, really difficult contention. And I completely agree with everything you said about the death penalty, Armin. Okay, really quickly, Eben Gayam is saying the focus should be on rehabilitation. And OD was also agreeing with me. I, sh I should have read that. Uh, Bobo is saying, I agree with you, Armin. The death penalty is barbaric. Um, and also Eric disagrees. Uh, Eric is saying, uh, my views on the death penalty are slowly changing. I prefer that the death penalty be implemented in certain cases. It's essential. Well, Eric, you shouldn't base this on your feeling. The data is against you. You know, like you shouldn't be like, oh, I feel these people deserve it. Um, your goal should not be revenge or satisfying your desire of seeing people punished your goal should be based on what prevents the most what it, what strategy prevents the most amount of, uh, prevents harm the most um in society and reduces the crime the most and for you to come up with a conclusion you should rely on data um rather than whatever you're feeling i'm not yeah um, maybe you have data but i'm just saying okay all right um okay so the next news is very good. This is the best news this week. So we can give really? it a big okay. clap. Okay. Next news. Next news. Victory. Canada confirms that atheist refugees are eligible for asylum program. So I wanted to share some very exciting news that happened recently in the atheist and humanist community of Canada and a big milestone in pushing for atheist rights in Canada. So on March 24th, Canada's Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship confirmed that atheists and other non-religious refugees are eligible for less complex claims, which is an expedited refugee application process. So in an interview with the Atheist Republic News team, Robert Hamilton, president of the Humanist Society of Humanist Ottawa and treasurer of Atheist Republic said that the LCC or less complex claims had previously listed religion and religious persecution among acceptable reasons for the refugee applicant to apply for the special program. However, the policy did not specify that atheists and non-believers are part of a persecuted group. At the time, Doug Thomas, president of um, Secular Connection, 
which is an, a lobbyist group in Canada fighting to lobby the government for secular and atheist-related issues, uh, and his team reached out to Marco Mendocino, who was then the Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship, for clarification. But Mendocino did not respond. After getting no response, they launched a petition which, ga which gained 2,500 signatures in 90 days, but was sidelined by the 2021 snap elections. The petition was presented to the House, a new petition, you know, re reiterating these um, claims and the demands, was presented to the House of Commons on February 8th, 2022. The less complex claim policy now includes individuals who, quote, have chosen to be disassociated from a religious denomination or community or those who hold no religious conviction, including non-believers. That's the actual verbiage from the Including, they mention non-believers, including yes. non-believers. Amazing, amazing. Okay, why are you not mentioning your, uh, you spearheaded a campaign to make this happen? Well, um, no, Armin, that's separate. That's separate, okay, okay. What yeah. was that about? So, so um, it, it's, it's related, but it's separate. Okay. So there was this issue with the less complex claims policy, which the verbiage omitted, you know, specifically talking about those who are not believers as applicable and eligible for this, um, this mm. special asylum processes, right? And okay. because of this, verbiage being omitted, um, it, it leaves kind of a gap or a hole where people could say, well, actually, we, we can't really say that you're eligible for this because you're not really explicitly included in the language, right? You're not mm -hmm. discluded, you're not, but it's not clear. And okay. so that was an issue with less, less complex claims. Secular Connection and many other atheist uh, Canadian organizations have been working, pushing for this to be very clearly clarified for like years now. Um, mm. So when the crisis in Afghanistan happened, there was a similar issue with the verbiage. So there was special refugee programs for Afghans to come to Canada. Okay, and okay. once again, it detailed that the people are eligible on the relation, the, the um, they're eligible bait on the basis of religious persecution. Right. But once again, there was a very clear omittance of those who are persecuted on the basis of their non-belief, of their lack of belief, which as all of us here know, is very dangerous in countries like Afghanistan and many other countries like Iran, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, et cetera. All these right. countries are included for the basis of religious persecution. So we were pushing the government to amend and clarify the language so that there can be no government official, no one who's conducting these refugee claims that says when, when someone's trying to go to the government to say, hey, I'm an atheist and I'm in danger because I mm. live in, you know, in a Islamic country where I can be persecuted. No official can say, well, actually, you're not really included because this is for religious persecution. So it's right. just making it crystal so, clear that non So that was what your campaign was about. You started a campaign for that one. Yes. And that's how, okay, okay. It's a and similar issue, but technically different. Okay, okay. And you managed to get a whole bunch of very important names on that campaign, uh, like Yasmin Mohammed and so who else? And some other people. I mean, oh. it was me and a, a huge collection of people working I, I together. I know, but you got some really big names. Steven Pinker, Lawrence David, Krauss. Yeah. You got Stephen Picker and Lauren Krauss on that campaign. Like, I don't know, like, I just want people to know how active you are at that front. And that was like a major accomplishment that you, I just want, because you don't take time to tell people 
the great things you're doing behind the scene, people just think like, you know, so I just wanted to use this to mention like Susanna is doing like some really great activism in, in, in this line. Um, she had to get Canadian names on, 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 on her campaign. So that's why she went to uh, Steven Pinker, Lawrence Crowns, and Yasmin Mohammed. But that was it. That, so for some people who are asking about the, uh, that, that was related to this, but a, um, a separate issue. Okay. Do you think it's possible that, that the push on that campaign had any effect on this? Um, possibly, I think the largest effect had to do with the, the minister of immigration changing. So what happens is, you know, people are allowed to start these e-petitions online and petition the government to address certain issues that they find, um, it, it, you know, imperative to be addressed. And so what happens is when the petition reaches a certain amount of signatures, the government is mandated to address it on like the floor, you know, to actually publicly address the demands of this petition. Now, what happened with the previous petition with Marco Mendocino as the immigration minister is that it got the right am amount of signatures. It was heard on the floor, but then the minister who is mandated to respond to these petitions just never responded. He let, there was a, there was a deadline to, for response. He never responded. He just let it go. And then the snap elections happen immediately. So then that means that the whole process has to be reinitiated all over again because it's a new government. And so that's what Doug Thomas at Secular Connection did and worked with many other organizations, including the Atheist Republic Canadian community, to gather signatures, to get people behind this so that it would be heard all over again. And so this time it was successful. And um, you know, people who were closely with this talk about the fact that we ha now have a new minister of immigration greatly helped because they were much more responsive to the demands of this petition this time. Um, and Darko is bringing up a very good point saying, now they'll say, well, how do we know you're actually an atheist? So this was a huge contention with the previous petition because Government officials, you, you know, this is what I hear from the people who are, you know, talking to these officials and working on this campaign really hands on. We're saying, well, you know, any just anyone can claim to be an atheist and try to get into the country based on this refugee policy. But that's BS because people do this all the time for religious claims. It is well known that ex-Muslims will claim to be Christian because they know that that's a persecuted identity that they can receive accommodations and eligibility from. So they will claim to be Christians when they're not. They're actually atheists. And that way they can also get, you know, um, support from different nonprofit organizations. And so this idea that you can uniquely have this ability to falsify an atheist identity, one, is way more risky <laughs> than other identities. And two, is patently false because people already do it for other things. But the, the barrier for proving yourself to be a Christian is much less versus being for an atheist. So when Secular Connection did the petition this time, they specifically included a part of the petition that said that humanist and atheist organizations recognized by the United Nations, like Humanist International, like Atheist Alliance International, will be providing documentation that speaks to the credibility of these atheist asylum claims, which speaks to a level of um, how unfair it is that given the constitution of the Canadian government, that atheists have a higher burden of proof than other religious groups. So this yeah. is still an issue. Yeah. So, so just quickly, what it means is that, yes, it is an issue. People could lie, but it's unfair to say that this is an issue for atheists, but you have other protected groups that you're uh, giving refugee status to them, 
but will they have the similar issue with those claims as well? So you can't say like we can't make this available to atheists because they could lie about being an atheist, while at the same time you're making this available for people who are being oppressed for being Christian or Jewish or whatever, uh, even though this applies to them as well. So this is like you're not being fair. Like this is an issue across the board. It's not uniquely towards people who are claiming to be atheists. Yes, we agree that this is an issue, but you can't withhold this from atheists because every you know, or else where you would have to withhold it for everybody. Um, but okay. overall, this is a huge victory because the less complex claim process allows um, basically refugee claims to be fast tracked in certain areas. So this can go a huge ways to actually like saving people's lives. Exactly. Um, okay, can we clap for the next news? Well, I don't like it, but it's Atheist Republic news, so we can clap. Well, nobody died, so we can clap it. Yeah. We could also clap for the cover design because you you designed the cover and it's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> so, n next news. Next news. Atheist Republic suspended from Twitter without notice. So, guys, we've uh, already talked about this a little bit, but now it's time to dive into it. So, we have been suspended from Twitter. And we don't know why. Um, so what happened was, what had happened was I was on Twitter on April 1st and I was, you know, because I do some research there, I go pull, you know, things from what people are saying about different stories we're researching, etc. And um, I tried to interact with a tweet, like like it or something. And as soon as I interacted with that tweet, I get a little pop up at the bottom of the screen that says, your report has been suspended. You cannot complete that action. And I'm like, excuse me, why? And I go to check our email and I see an email that says, you have been suspended for violating the Twitter rules. Now they didn't tell me what rules, they didn't tell me what policies I violated. And if anyone is familiar with how Twitter works, you know that this is fairly unusual because when someone gets any sort of restriction against their account or a suspension or even, yeah, yeah, like you are supposed to be sent an example of specifically the tweets or content that violates the Twitter community guidelines or policies and an explanation as to which policy or community guideline it violates specifically as an explanation to the action taken against you. We have received none of that. I immediately submitted an appeal. We The appeal was immediate, within less than 24 hours, was immediately rejected. And again, the appeal did not even say what specific or what policies we violated. It just said, you violated the Twitter rules, learn more about the Twitter rules here. Send me a link. No explanation. No, no reason why our whole account has been suspended. Atheist Republic is the largest atheist-centered uh, Twitter account on the platform. Almost 200,000 followers. Gone. No explanation as to why. Um, now, this is hugely frustrating because our Twitter account is a very important way that we reach out to uh, current Atheist Republic members, new Atheist Republic members, how we, you know, let people know about what we're doing, how to um, uh, do outreach surrounding our work, and just gone. No longer available to us with no explanation. Now, Bobble, who is our resident Sexy Cali lawyer, brings up a good point, saying, isn't this because of the Delhi High Court judgment? Now, if you guys remember 
last week, we talked about the latest saga in our legal situation in India, which is the people are going after us because of various blasphemous tweets that we have. And so because of that, those proceedings, the Delhi High Court ruled that certain tweets of ours had to be removed from Twitter. Now, specifically, the, based on the written notification that we've received from Twitter on the basis of those tweets, it says that those tweets have been blocked to an Indian audience, but they should be available everywhere else. Now, when what, we had those court, the nature of the tweets were blasphemous. The nature of the Hinduism. tweets were um, uh, a photo that was advertising a talk that I was giving, and in the fo- in the photo advertising this event, it had a little picture of sexy Kali kissing Sita. Um, you know, highly blasphemous. And another one Hindu was goddess. yeah, Hindu goddess. And another one was like a, a Hindu holy man. Um, talking to an elderly couple and it said something like your ignorance is the source of my income like a pretty mm. standard meme that just happened to be about a hindu religious figure but people say this that about we have religious figures yeah about every yeah faith. we have Everything. many memes like this about christianity and islam and none of this uh, but the hindu one is the one that the uh, the government in india the hindu uh, the daily high court is coming against and pressuring twitter to they were they are pressuring twitter to suspend our account and as soon as this court case went through our account got suspended uh, so we're just wondering if this is this is very likely it could. I mean, we don't know. It could be. It's possible that it's related, but Twitter is not communicating about uh, to us. Uh, but it's ridiculous because none none of our tweets, none of these tweets, and any other tweets violates any of Twitter's community guidelines. Like we have been extremely careful to be within um, Twitter's community guidelines. And these tweets that the court, the Daily High Court, is like, it's just pictures. It's just pictures of goddesses. Um, so and they're just sexy but there's not even any nudity um even though nudity is allowed on twitter um our depictions of hindu goddesses do not have any nudity but yeah go on so you know we we had that action taken against us on the basis of of those tweets and in the latest court proceedings our lawyers intervened and said you know the court should not take action against us until in because the petitioners were not only trying to get these tweets removed they were trying to get our whole account suspended trying to force the government to force Twitter to get our whole account suspended. And, um, you know, our lawyers intervened and said, you know, we should be made a party to this case. You, the Twitter or the Delhi High Court should not take action until we have been heard because you are going to be taking coercive action against us potentially. And, you know, they had a couple other things that they intervened on. And as a result of our lawyers intervening, we were allowed to become a party to this case, but it had certain conditions. Like we have to file an affidavit, which is something I'm working on with our lawyers on right now. But also there were other things, specifically a condition that content like that which has had action previously taken against it shall not be posted while we are still undergoing these proceedings, right? Well, that's not very clear. You know, offending content like that action has been taken against it. What does that mean? Does that just mean content against Hinduism because the petitioner and the judges had a particular issue with the Hinduism content? Or any offending material could be anything related to criticism of religion, depending on who the audience is. Like, that's so vague. What is the barometer for acceptable content online? If this is the new standard, nearly every atheist creator online would have to head into early retirement because what is, what, what is, you know, what, what are we, what is considered here? The offending material is only against Hinduism or is it any criticism of all religion? So, but here's the deal. So the, the, if 
So the condition, if that kind of content is posted again, then they can go ahead and take action against us. However, so that makes me think, okay, maybe there was something that they interpreted as this offending material and went ahead and took this action against us. But the big problem is, if this is the case, even if that was the case, that that's what happened, based on what's going forward in, in the Indian court, it should have only been blocked to the Indian audience under section 69A of the IT laws of India. It should not be a global block, a global suspension, according to the proceedings that are currently going forward in the court. So that is some things that make me believe that it may not be related to this court proceeding. Now, maybe it's related because Twitter has just decided, I'm tired of dealing with these people. We're getting rid of them. They're gone. Who knows? We don't know. And the big problem is, is how opaque Twitter is being about this whole process. We have no way to figure out why this happened or how we can possibly amend it. Um, it's also possible this happened because of mass reporting. Like on the um, article that I wrote about this, I show evidence of, you know, people, you know, posting about their mass reporting campaigns to show how they reported and saying, thank you for taking action against, you know, this account and improving the Twitter experience, right. you know. Yeah, look uh, at this. People are celebrating our Twitter. A lot of Indian and um, Hindu accounts like cyber you know what is these twitter accounts called well the ones that are trying to mass oh, the Hindu IT cells. yeah like they're they're celebrating like oh suspended atheist republic 136,000 followers fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji and they're like celebrating like if you could read the comments people are happy people are thanking each other this is a uh, the guy that like atheist republic account blocked them uh, on my complaint thank you twitter api so like they're looking at you know an update oh look this person is showing that this their report is like this is an evidence that it was in response to people to the people's mass reports right no, uh, and that said, guy that guy is the lawyer who put the petition in front of the supreme yeah. court yeah, so the, it's see, the, the same lawyer, lawyer. This the lawyer that is taking uh, our case to the Supreme Court of India. He's like bragging about the fact that he managed to take Atheist Republic's Twitter account down. And he, even here, I don't know. You highlight this one. He, even here in our live chat, you can see like Hindutva, um, this our own resident Hindutva Susanna, which is like a pro Hindutva member. He's saying, uh, is celebrating our Twitter account being taken down. Uh, she's commenting in the live chat and saying, no hate. But that's how karma works. So, like, basically, she's saying that uh, we we got what we deserve, right? So, apparently, they, you know. So, by the way, this is a good time for people to remember that we actually um, are to be able to challenge this. Our Indian lawyers are not going to be enough because Twitter is an American company, and we're gonna try to find a lawyer to basically get Twitter to respond to us. And they need to be American, and they need to be specifically somebody that is uh, within this uh, has expertise and background within social media, like inform demanding information, demanding clarity, internet rights. Um, yeah, internet rights exactly. So we're looking. Looking for a lawyer like that, um, and if you guys have any contacts um, in on Twitter um, or uh, with any lawyers, please contact Susanna. Susanna, do you mind like putting your email on the screen? And also because we because we are like uh, we need American lawyers now. Um, American lawyers are very expensive. Like so far, we like people have donated to our legal fund uh, four thousand dollars, and that was really good with like helping us uh, take these cases forward in India. Like we managed to make every dollar count. Like we have really good lawyers that are showing up in course and, you know, fighting with the judges or, you know, it's ridiculous. The fact that we have to have lawyers and judges, the judge apparently like was 
they're very aggressive and uh, against us because we just have pictures of Hindu goddesses. Like, guys, it's important that we set the precedent that this is insane that India's court system and judicial system is being used by judges that are extremely angry with us for posting tweets about Hindu goddesses. And we're not even in India. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't be taking this lying down. Like, we need to, like, if we just accept these things, this, these are setting new precedent for, for a country as big as India. You shouldn't want this to happen. Like, this is supposed to be a secular country. And they're enforcing laws for things that are happening outside of their borders just because they're offended about how their goddesses are being depicted. This is insane. And they're, like, pushing, twisting the arm of Twitter to basically ban an entire account that we have built over the past 15 years, right? And now, now that we need, like, American lawyers, we're going to need a lot more funding to keep pushing forward our legal case, um, again, to make sure that th these that we're not taking this lying down. Like, even if we fail, uh, we just want to make sure that we put up a good fight, at least. for this. And it's not just for our sake. It's for the sake of everybody who's being affected by this um, blasphemy laws that is being enforced outside of uh, to, uh, India's borders. And even for the sake of India, it's important to fight this as well. So this is our GoFundMe um, you know, campaign that we have, for our which is basically our legal fund. Um, which is called Help Us Fight Hindutva. There's a link to this fundraiser in the description. If you want to help us like challenge this, challenge Twitter, and challenge all these lawyers and judges um, that are coming against us and all these Twitter reporting campaigns against us, um, please help us um, keep the, keep uh, for us to continue this fight. I, I'm anticipating this is a fight that's going to continue for the next couple of years. And honestly, I think... It's our Twitter account being lost. If we manage to like fight this and expose the situation in India because of us losing our Twitter account, if we could like in a few in a few years, if we could bring all of this together and expose everything that has happened and make a big deal off of it and all the legal battles that we had to fight, I'm honestly thinking like losing our Twitter account, uh, it would be worth it. Just you know, I mean, it's a sad, it's a huge cost, but I think at least at least we are using this as a way to show the world how ridiculous this is. Like, even if we lose this battle, I think like we should at least take advantage of it and show how bad and how ridiculous uh, India's justice system has become and how, how big of a lie it's becoming for India to claim that it's a secular country. Yeah. yeah. I think um, really quickly, um, you guys can help us out a lot by if you are tweeting at Twitter support. So I gave an example of a tweet saying at Twitter support, the user at Atheist Republic has been suspended without any written notice of which policies the account supposedly violated and were caused for suspension. Please correct this. So that's an example of how we really want to cause a storm about this on Twitter itself to try to get more attention to it, try to get more outrage going. Second of all, if you have any connections at Twitter, if you work at Twitter, if a friend works at Twitter, if a friend of a friend that you know works at Twitter, please reach out to me at Susanna at atheistrepublic.com. I really need to find connections within the country, within the company to try to get this addressed more effectively. Um, because it, or at least do a little poking behind the scenes to see what might have been the cause for this. Because this is this is ridiculous. Um, okay, so we have some people who, uh, Doxymoron is saying very, you want to read this? 
Oxymoron is saying very sympathetic about your situation, but not as hopeful about the USA case. It's a private entity allowed to be biased and consistent. Okay, so yes, you're here, true, here. but we can. Yeah, we could pressure them because they are a for-profit company that they care about the pressure that you put on them. I'm, I'm not saying we have a good chance or not, but uh, it doesn't mean We're that taking they... every possible avenue, and this includes yeah. avenues in India as well as the United States. Yeah, just and we know they have, we don't claim that they don't have a right, but we just think it's like it's kind of like saying like if you go to a restaurant and they give you bad food. Uh, and you complain about it and pressure them to make better food, you can't say, oh, well, they have the right to make bad food. Yes, and you have the right to complain about it and to pressure them to give you better, create a better environment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can, it's fair, you know, it's, we're not saying it's not their right, but we can still say it's a bad policy, even if it's their right. Ibn Qiyam is, uh, has a response to that, which is a good response here. Yes, yeah, and as a business, Twitter will make decisions based on what maximizes their bottom line. We need to share this news so it has more public attention to highlight Twitter's policies. Thank yes, thank you. Yes. So I would really appreciate it if people could get on Twitter and you know stir up a little outrage about this because that would help us a lot, draw more attention. And also please share this video and like this video. That would help more people see that as well. And last thing, because we want to make sure, like like we said, we don't create any stereotypes about any of these things. It's really good for a reminder. PK, you want to read this one? PK is saying, as a Hindu, I never really understood what the problem is. Like, who cares? Well, yes, thank you, so, PK, for un being reasonable. Love it. Yes. Love to see it. And a major reminder that we have a lot of Indians and a lot of even Hindus and even some Hindutva who come in, who reach out to us, who support us, who say that this is not right, um, who wrongfully apologize to us. They shouldn't be apologizing to us because they're not responsible for this. But it's a good reminder that we shouldn't be uh, just because uh, some Hindus are offended by what we're doing and are you know, trying all their best to basically completely remove us. Uh, you shouldn't come off uh, from any of this with a stereotypical understanding of what Indians are like or what Hindus are like. Okay, this is not at all the case. Okay, we have some, we have uh, India is one reason why we're doing this is because we love India, we care about India, and we used to have a major, a giant community of supporters in India until like the Indian government cut all our access to it, right? Like they banned us on, uh, from Facebook. They cut our access to India. They removed us from Twitter. Our consulates are being privatized. Like we, they're trying to make sure. Oh, by the way, and a reminder, especially if you're in India, to subscribe to our newsletter because then you will always have access to us and that will never be removed. Um, our, we will always be connected to you that way. So please make sure you subscribe to our newsletter in the description. Um, but yeah, we 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 love India, and we also especially love all our fans and followers in India, and we would like to one day regain access to all of them because there were about like three hundred thousand of them that we don't have access anymore because of our Facebook page being completely blocked in India, um, at the request of the Indian government. So. Um, we yeah, and this is not just a fight about Twitter. It's also a fight about our website has been blocked in a, a lot of IPs in India. Our Facebook, like uh, we've been completely cut from India even after 15 years. That was one of the major countries where we were active in, and we don't want to just accept this. Okay, India is important, and we are we are the largest atheist community in the world, and we don't want to be kicked out of India. We were we want to find our way back to India. You know, one way or another, we'll we'll be back in India. Okay. We'll be back with Sexy Cali, okay? We're not just going to um, leave Sexy Cali out of this, okay? So, anyways, that was the last news. Thank you, everyone. Um, Susanna, did you want to say anything? 
Well, thank you for the support that everyone's given us thus far. Um, I will be giving you guys as many updates as I can. In fact, I'm going to be meeting with our lawyers in less than a half an hour to discuss, you know, some of these issues. So there's a lot we're working on behind the scenes. Yes. Anyways, thank you everyone for supporting us. Again, please like this video, share this video. And if you can afford it, support us. Uh, link in the description. And yep, see you guys uh, very soon. Bye. Bye.